Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I sit down to talk about comic books we like, including Electra Assassin by Frank Miller and Bill Sienkiewicz, Captain America by Nick Spencer and Daniel Kuna, The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl by Ryan North and Erica Henderson, Criminal by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, Panther by Brecht Evans, Sun Bakery by Corey Lewis, and much, much more. The quick brown show notes jump over the slow, lazy podcast at waywoodpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waywoodpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! How are you, sir? Sir, I am my mind. No, moving on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Technically, I'm fine. Really, it's just been, um, it's you know, I've got this super extended long period of time off for me comparatively. In that, I took Friday off. I don't have to be back to work until Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah, I know. What's behind this? Well, uh, exhaustion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, 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 no. I actually scheduled this time way before I took on the new position. Uh, it was suppo- this was supposed to be the weekend I ran my first marathon. But uh, oh, that's right. But that fell by the wayside yes. because when you started the new job, so did the training. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely fell by the wayside. So, but I still had the weekend off, and I'm like, uh, I might as well take on it. Um, I think I mentioned to you. Uh, previously that uh my storage space <gasps> yes is it empty it is well it is it is being shut down so i am renting a new storage space and tomorrow is the day that we move all of uh my stuff from one space to the next but so, i thought you were selling the stuff in the storage space no 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 because you like many other human beings uh imagine that just because I have 27 long boxes of comics, actually 29, that that would be all that's in my storage space. In fact, <laughs> oh, the God. shameful thing, the 29 long boxes of comics, Graham McMillan, aren't even in the storage space. See, that makes sense for when you told me about this before. Mm-hmm. I just made a comment about how Edie will be happy to have the space in the house back. That's right. That's right. I thought, I was just like, well, that's a strange thing to say, but it must be the 29 bucks in the storage space, right? Because who would have more than that? Oh, yeah. No, Graham. It's so, in fact, uh, yesterday I went out there and spent two hours and painstakingly managed to somehow drag like five boxes of books that I was like, I can part with these. I can part with these. So. Wait, okay, okay. How many boxes did you leave then? Uh, that's actually a really good question. Uh, you know, me, there's maybe like, there's maybe four to six banker's boxes. And then there's these big, huge plastic tubs. Wait, wait, Um, what's a banker's box? Uh, oh, sorry. A banker's box. People in the, who I think work in law probably know it. It's, it's called a banker's box. It's a very specific type of box. It's a cardboard box that you construct that, um, I'm looking this up in Google. As yeah, it's 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 a incredibly sturdy. It hold. It's oh, yeah, basically yeah. designed I, I, to. I know what it is. Yeah, I, yeah. Exactly. When I see, like, sure, I see those in television all the time in in 
TV shows with law offices. Exactly, because they are the preferred standard for, they are perfect for storing papers in them because they're sized perfectly and because they are like usually double or triple reinforced with cardboard, they can hold a shit ton without collapsing. So, so here's, here's my question. Yeah. What percentage of a long box fits in a banker's box? Uh, okay. Well, that's, unfortunately, that's just a weird, apples to oranges question because the banker's boxes are filled with like books and graphic novels. Oh, okay. okay yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But not actual comic book comic okay. books. The okay. comic books are all in long boxes and short boxes. The, the That being said, there was a tr- there's a tremendous amount of manga uh, of which I, I, I like forced myself to actually uh, get rid of a huge chunk of that. I am um, so tempted just to say it like, are, do you listen to this podcast and are you in San Francisco? Would you like to make Jeff's wife happy? Would you like free comics? <laughs> well, we'll see. There's actually <laughs> some Jeff's comics. There, we'll get there. We'll get there. Believe me, as it, as it stands right now, there is supposedly a guy, uh, I'm starting to feel actually like Laura in the Glass Menagerie because I've had this gentleman suitor who's expressed interest in buying my comic book collection <laughs> who has not shown up for like a well, ridiculously this, long time. This has been going on for a while. Like we talked about this in the Baxter building that didn't record. That's right. That's absolutely right. In fact, I went through, Edie and I went through a tri- ridiculous, I almost said ridiculous, which I think it, is... That's how ridiculous it is. Yeah, it's, it's tri- tremendous it's, and it's ridiculous. Oh, I thought it was tripically, tripically? Tripically ridiculous. <laughs> it probably is. Tridiculous. It's, however you define it, it was clearly ridiculous. We, we put in a ridiculous amount of work. Uh, taking all the comics that I had not purchased or that I'd purchased, that I'd stolen, that I'd purchased, but I hadn't <laughs> sorted or added. So it was, it, which was basically 700, like 800 comics, which I think is probably going to end up being something like the amount of comics that I bought for 2015 and most up to this point, up until yesterday in 2016. No, not up until yesterday. Up until last week, because I've got, I I went to the comic book store <laughs> yesterday, and this is the I problem. It just really is. It's just more of it. There's just I, it just. I, never I, stops. I'm going to uh, potentially set off your OCD then. Yes. Um, it's it's a while ago now because it was when we were clearing at the basement, which I want to say was before Christmas even. Mm-hmm. Um, but around that same period, I got rid of a bunch of comics, mm-hmm. and. I didn't sort them or anything. Mm-hmm. Like I just took piles and piles of comics, mm-hmm. put them in bags, mm-hmm. and and gave them to Goodwill. Wow! Yeah, yeah, that's probably good. I, I mean, I didn't, I yeah. didn't, uh, I, I didn't sort them. I, did, I, did, I mean, I looked at them in terms of like, am I going to read this again? Okay, mm-hmm. maybe I am. Mm-hmm. Am I going to read this again? Probably not. See, this is that is a problem that I I have because in my brain I'm always going to be rereading these things, and what's great is now the trick for me is I have to if I'm sorting anything if I'm trying to get rid of something I literally have to have it in front of my face for longer than forty five minutes because for the first forty five minutes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm keeping all of this. None of this is going. I need this. Well, this is here, my trustiest. Here's the, but here's the difference. Mm-hmm. 
my comics included comp copies. Yeah, that's... you presumably paid for all your comics. Yeah, yeah, I did. No, but it's a different thing when like you're going through, you know. Here is a year's worth of Red Sonia from Dynamite. Well, that's true, yeah. Do you know what I mean? We were like, I sure. Right. You know, I, I'm not going to read this again. I'm not going to read, you know, Tarzan again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I say that and then I was like, oh, I don't know if it's Mercury Bennett's Red Sonia. Maybe I would. But, um, but you know what I mean? Like there's comics that you just like, you know, I, I didn't even read this the first time. Of course I'm going to give this away. Well, yeah. No, I've got some stuff actually that I was putting in out of that 600, 700. I was looking at it. I'm like, oh man, there's a lot of stuff here that I did not read or that I didn't catch up on or that I purchased and just let it lay fallow. And it's like, ooh. in some ways that's harder for me to get rid of. I guess you're right. Cause I literally did pay for it. Once you pay for it for me, it's like, ugh. I don't know though. I'm just, I'm getting to a point where. Part of me would be, yeah, if there was a way that, like, at the end of every year, we could actually have an honest-to-God lottery, which we cannot because of legal rules, but, like, a lottery and <coughs> the lucky Patreon winner, like, wins my comic books for the previous year, I would be so down <laughs> with that. Yeah, but here's you know? the thing. Imagine the mailing costs. Oh, uh, yeah, no. They would have to pay the mailing costs, and they'd be like, what? Fuck that. I'm like, exactly. a year's worth of comics. You, yeah, you get all these comics for free, yeah. except for the fact that it will cost you hundreds of dollars to mail See, it there. that's the great thing about media mail, is, is that it won't really cost you hundreds, I think. <laughs> I honestly don't know, because mm-hmm. I told you before about the idea of sending my niece, admittedly this was transatlantic. See, but that's different. My, yeah, exactly. But sending my niece yeah. the, the care package and just how utterly disastrous and expensive that yeah, turned into. Yeah, no, but that's completely that, that different. Was, yeah, that was a, oh, that, everything about that was a, a horrendous learning experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. To the point the, where at the end, yes, uh, Kate and I both look at each other and we're like, when my nephew goes to college, we're giving him cash. <laughs> Because we can give him a lot of cash, mm-hmm. and it still be less to us than it's cost to do this. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, <coughs> media okay. mail yeah. is, is a is a, is local. You know, like no, within I, the. I, I know what media mail is. I'm just okay. very suspicious. I guess it's it's a huge. It's the difference is night and day. Night and day. Believe I, I, I'm, sh- I, I want to believe you. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. I'd love to believe you. Okay. Well, However. Uh, Graham? Yeah. No, I left it as Hammer. Oh, okay. However, it was like, however, dead silence. I'm no, like, no, no, no. Ah. That, was, that was my point. I left it as Hammer. You did. Well, thank you. So, hey, listen, we are in a rare position. This is the first time in, it seems like, three weeks we can actually talk about, like, comic books. Like, comic books. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like amazing, right? Yeah. I actually, I got nervous about this yeah. earlier today. I was like, I've not read any comic books this week. That is so funny. I should I should read comic books. But see, this uh, is this and is. I then realized yes. I actually have read a bunch of comic books this week. See, it's just that weirdly, I've read comic books that I don't really like. Ooh, okay. Well, that's good. I mean, the, I also I, I read some that I, I read some that I loved as well. But like, I was like, oh, that's right. I read that. Oh, oh, I read that too. Oh. <laughs> but the great thing is, Graham. This is like the first time, this is because of the shenanigans with the Baxter building, you know, we did have that mini-soda that was very much focused on news, but, uh, but. Like, I, I'm, I said it to you in email and I'm going to say it on the podcast, Jeff. I don't think we've, we're actually behind anymore. 
Yes. <laughs> because the Minnesota and the Max building and the Phil and Max are building, I'm going to say we're almost on target. I think we are. I want to think we, I want to, I want to pretend we are. God, do I want to pretend we are. So <laughs> hopefully we'll be coming. You're right. We can actually talk about comics, which is why I think we should spend this episode talking about the U.S. presidential election. <laughs> I would normally, oh, hey, if you've got oh, a hot take, I wouldn't oh, be opposed. I, I, I don't, first of all. And secondly, oh, no. <laughs> Let, let's just not. You know, I will say this, and it's not presidential election, but it's also not really comics. Um, with everything that's been going on in, in the, the comics internet recently, mm-hmm. I realized the other day, I'm really looking forward to the Captain America film coming out. Not because I really want to see it, uh-huh. but because I'm looking forward to people on the comics internet being happy about something for a while. Well, I don't think that'll happen. Really? Because I'm seeing a lot of people who've seen it in Europe just being happy. You know, I hope so. Just I mean, being yeah, downright happy with it. And don't get me wrong; I already know that I, I already know people who have seen it who don't like it, mm-hmm. and that that's going to happen. But it's not going to be like Batman versus Superman dislike. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I think I think we're going to look at eighty percent of the people being happy with it. Well, I I, I guess what I just meant because I actually. Do think, yeah, based based on the word of mouth, this looks to be kind of a potentially very very successful superhero movie. I mean, oh, it's, it's, I mean, are you talking in terms of money? Because it's going to make it's going to make all the money. Jeff. It, it's going to make all the money, but I mean, in term part of what's why it's going to be making all that all the monies is in part because I feel like the reviews that have been coming out from both sort of hardcore fans and sort of more casual critics seems very strong very strong but no i just i i was just making sort of a more snarkier point about how there's going to be something someone's going to you know there's going to be some line in the screenplay or there's going to be there's just going to be something that people are going to get angry about because that's just you know that's that's what people do these days one of the things i thought was interesting abe was writing on his tumblr about something i can't remember what it was uh and he did say that that the, basically the internet feeds on anger the way that television feeds on fear. And I was like, hmm, I think there might be something to that. And it, certainly there is kind of that thing of it seems to be the main emotion that is trying to be provoked sort of the same way that TV tries to provoke fear to kind of get you to tune in or keep watching or go for the news or whatever. And I think there, I think there is a lot of like anger and outrage is a good way to get people to click through, I think. And that, I think, unfortunately it just leads to that sort of, you know, uh, more, that dynamic. Uh, yeah. More, more, more and more anger. Yeah. yeah so but it just, I, it's the comics internet has been exhausting in the last few weeks. And to an extent, with good reason. You know, the, what we talked about with, with the Minnesota, there's, you know, there's bullshit going on. Um, but there's, I just feel like there's so much that I, I honestly am like, I'm ready for something. I'm like, I'm ready for people to be downright enthusiastic about something, even if it's not anything I'm downright enthusiastic about. Sure. I'm ready for people just to be like, something is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. That is true. I, uh, I, well, I myself, I have to admit, I somewhere along the line, because I think one of the times we talked about both Batman v Superman and uh, Cap Civil War, like in the lead-ups, I was like, I'm not excited. Like I'm kind of like, eh, you know. But I have to say, I am kind of interested about. 
I am interested to see Civil War. I'm kind of looking forward to it. That will undoubtedly be my downfall, but I, <laughs> I admit it. I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fine. I think it's going to do everything that everyone wants it to do. Are you going to a press screening next week when it opens? No, no, the press screenings have happened. Okay. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I'm, I'll see it obviously when I'll see it is open to question. I see. Um, in large part because my wife has surgery this week. What? Oh shit. Right. Crap. Um, and so I kind of am going to want to stay close to home. For her recovery? For Graham, 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 there's no better time to go to the movies. That's what I'm saying. Than, you well, know. But here's the thing. Yeah. I should, I should put this in some sort of context. It's gallbladder bladder surgery, which is, in the grand scheme of things, amazingly minor. Right. Like, she is in and out of the hospital in a morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and from everything we've told, we've been told, and we know, it turns out we know a lot of people have been through this. Recovery is basically you lie there and you go, oh, my belly hurts. Right. I'll take some pain medication. I'm okay. Right. So it's not like either of us are expecting anything disastrous. Right. But the fact that like the, the first screening will be like a day after the surgery, mm-hmm. you know, unless she is magically feeling great, I'm not sure I can really see myself going to that. I think you guys should. I think you should both <laughs> take both take Kate's no. pain medication Grab all, a waffle, head all, over to the Baghdad. What's that? She won't be going to see Civil Actually, I sorry, she might do. Mm-hmm. But she don't like, but this way, she wasn't interested at all in going to see Batman versus Superman, so I just assumed she wouldn't want to see Civil War. Uh, who knows? I'll see it at some point, but, but at the same time, I've had it spoiled for me already. Oh. <laughs> I had it spoiled for me like three or four weeks ago, yeah. Wow. Bummer. That is a drag. Uh, it, I, I'm, it's <laughs> honestly what happens with the job, Jeff. Yeah, I'm sure. Hey, you want to know something that was kind of weird? I have to say this I, is I do. very strange. And it's because uh, I don't have, uh, as people I think know, a conventional TV setup. You know, it's like we watch stuff through Apple TV, which means we, we've got a subscription for like Hulu. Uh, and apart from that, so apart from like Hulu Plus and like going to the gym and working out, that's kind of the only place that I see, like, commercials. And uh, I think, I guess, so I could be completely mistaken, but it seems to me that there is just a stupid amount of cross-promotional ads out there with Captain America Civil War being used to sell product X, you know, and I sure. could be wrong. It could just be what I'm looking at and the, the I, ad buys I, in those target markets. Yeah, I want to say that there is probably a little bit more, but probably not significantly more. I mean, there's a lot out there, but there's a lot out there for a lot of movies. Yeah, exactly. And that's it. I just don't see them. So I, this is, these seem to be the ones that I noticed, but I did have this weird amount, this weird thing where, uh, there's like a, they, they of course were trying to sell some like, family sports utility vehicle. Oh, it's it's the Audi commercial. Yeah, the Audi commercial, it's, right? It's directed by the Russos. Oh, is it directed by the yeah, Russos? It's directed by the Russos, yeah. That is so funny. Because I'm watching it uh this morning at the gym and it's got like all the various superheroes bouncing over all these cars and stuff and Which the is Audi. actually from the movie. Right. Uh and and then there's the family inside and they're at the end of the commercial the 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 guy in the passenger seat of this 
regular Audi family says something, and I can't remember what it is, like, hey, that's an illegal left turn or something like that, or like, no respect for property. or And I had this weird moment of like, this commercial is not unlike what you used to get in the pages of a Marvel comic book, you know? Like, you know that sort of, like, uh, just when we were looking at the Fantastic Four episode with Thing and Thundra having their incredibly disappointing fight of the century, and... I thought you have the, the general Marvel Universe schnook. Yeah, the guy yeah. who's like, ten bucks for this seat, what a rook, yeah. you know? Yeah, the, the, the advert was actually made by the people who made Civil War. Wow. And what's amazing is it kind of had that weird moment of like, oh, here's the Marvel thing of here's the people in the crowd and somebody's got like a completely sort of smart-ass, impertinent, seen-it-all comment that Stan used to put in somebody's mouth, you know? You're, like, so what you're saying is you're on board. I, I'm not necessarily saying I'm on board. I was actually more taken with the idea that the experience of taking these commercials and trying to figure out how to craft an experience around them that simultaneously sells the Audi and sells the Captain America Civil War ended up creating this weird thing. Maybe not accidentally, but you know where you've got regular people doing that sort of level of like commercial self-conscious, self-conscious, mm-hmm. um, you know, quippery that, that somehow really does end up mimicking, uh, a Marvel comic in a weird way. It was very which, strange. Yeah. Which also to me, at least when I first saw the commercial made me think, cause I had the same moment of that feels like a, a Marvel comic. Mm-hmm. And also that feels like a regular commercial, which then led me to, how much of regular commercials are written by people who read Marvel comics in like the seventies and eighties? Right, right. That's like how much did these two things feed into each other? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is it. There are those people who just say that they grew up. You know, there's a lot of people who grew there's up. There's a reading. lot of people who read, grew up reading Marvel. Yeah, and and then apparently got into. The Hollywood type dynamics. Hey, speaking of which, maybe this is a, an interesting way to segue into talking about actual comics. Did you read the first issue of Tanahisi Coates's Black Panther from several weeks ago? Yes, yes, I did. What did you think? I thought it was fine. <laughs> um, I th- I thought it was. Uh, I I honestly I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. I thought that the star for me was Brian Stelfreeze's art. Yeah, uh, which is which is lovely, which mm-hmm. is really nice. I thought that it felt longer than it actually was mm-hmm. because story wise, it's only like twenty two pages or something. Really? Uh, yeah, I felt amazingly gypped by the price. Mm-hmm. It's a five dollar comic and there's twenty two pages of story, and, and also a lot of filler as well. Do you know what I mean? Like we've got a two page title page. A, Two-page title sequence. Right. Although that sequence was, it looked beautiful in that black and white, heavy on the blacks art that Steel Freeze was using on it. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, that sort of, I don't know. Like, I, I resented that. Uh, hmm. The same way that I, want, a couple of the comics I've read this week are the um, Avengers standoff issues. Mm-hmm. And they've also got, like, a lot of, here's a page of typography. <laughs> you know, and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. great. I I kind of feel weirdly conned. Uh, so yeah, that and also like the back matter for for Black Panther didn't really seem felt like felt like filler. Didn't feel like an extra, 
but felt like we have some pages to fill. Let's do this to justify um, this higher price point. Yeah, story wise, yeah. it was a solid first issue. Yeah, it was a very it was a very modern Marvel first issue. Yeah, I, I remember finishing it up and being like, like, wow, that's a Gemis era comic. You know, like it I think just it was Gemis era. I I thought it felt more contemporary than that. Well, I guess what I mean is, is for me, the Gemis era comic is a is is for me that's my cutoff of when you started getting first issues that didn't really feel like a satisfying chunk of of its own thing but rather like an opening salvo in what's in a storyline to the come. saga yeah yeah so and it's like it, it seemed like a very i was surprised that it wasn't more new reader friendly uh to be honest it actually felt very new reader unfriendly mm-hmm to me, mm-hmm. um, not only the starting in media res, but in using the Dora Milje mm-hmm. as as a concept that don't really get properly introduced, mm-hmm. uh, and in the cliffhanger being my sister with like, or he doesn't even say that. He says Shuri. I think he references Shuri. It's been yeah. a while since I read it, um, and there's no context given if you've skipped the previously page. Which mm-hmm. I skip. I skip the previously page in almost every comic these days. <laughs> um, and so, like, I got to the end and I was like, I know who that is. But, you know, this is a comic that's going to be read by a lot of people who not only have not read Hickman's Avengers, but have not read comics in a long time, if ever. Yeah. And so to have your, your comeback next issue to be referencing a character's name felt really underwhelming and really insular but at the same time you know we'll see what the trade's like i I really felt that about this book yeah like this this might be a great story when it's done but as a first issue eh. well that's it i mean again and i think for me that's part of why i think of the gemis stuff is that's kind of precisely (coughs) when the whole like writing for the trade seemed like much more prominently a thing, I suppose. Like, it didn't really feel like... I didn't think it was necessarily a satisfying slice on its own. But with that said, I really have to qualify it by saying uh, people who listen to this podcast know that um, I read a huge chunk of Hickman's Avengers and New Avengers, and I think I got everything right up until, like, I don't know, you know... Four Time to six out. issues. Yeah, it was literally like two, maybe three or four issues uh, before, maybe six. I don't know, maybe because I got caught up all on Unlimited. I, I would have to go back and reread them now, but considering I jumped onto Secret Wars, it didn't really seem to make much of a point. I'm not much of a fan, and it was interesting seeing that uh, Coates is... On the one well, hand, he's was clearly is a fan of he's Hickman clearly stuff. a fan. He's clearly a fan of Hickman's take on the Panther. He and I mean, it sort of makes sense in that it's it's a natural progression of where we last saw the Panther as to where to pick him up. But you can just see, like even in that opening sequence, it's like Coates digs this take, and I yeah. was kind of like. Ugh. <laughs> Well, I was actually super curious about that because I am not a massive Black Panther fan. Like, I like the, I like the idea of the character a bunch. Uh, and I like right. the Kirby stories, but not necessarily as Black Panther stories. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you you do you like the the Don McGregor stuff a bunch, right? I'm it's you know it's really funny. I I'm one of those guys who like one of the it's like I've got a Bat Manga shirt and I've got that uh, Black Panther shirt that they released. Um, from Jungle Action. The jungle yeah, action. yeah, exactly, with the Jungle Action cover on it. And I'm like, I'm all over this. And that being said, like, actually in Mar- the Marvel recent BOGO sale, I actually picked up – well, I actually bought a lot of Black Panther in that sale. But I have that kind, same kind of feeling of like – I don't know. I My thing with – it's like I love the character in the Don McGregor years, and I'm fascinated by the extent to which Coates is – as I think a lot of people have, trying to take a, a semi-McGregor-ish issue. You know, McGregor's big jungle action story was a civil war in Wakanda. So the fact that this is where Coates is going, well, but I feel yeah, like that, other that people have Yeah, that's super story. interesting to me as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, Don McGregor did this story, yeah, yeah. you know, a while ago. And I wonder if it's... uh I wonder if Coates is going somewhere completely different or if it's a homage or do you know what I mean? Like the, the yeah. fact that it seems at least in logline mm-hmm. so amazingly close to McGregor's. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I, I, I've seen a few brief comments either on the Twitter feed on Coates' Twitter, Twitter feed or maybe with uh, interviews uh, that he, I feel like he, he's, he's said that he respects what McGregor was doing, but wasn't necessarily into it. Which makes sense, you know? So I think to an extent, I think he's kind of like, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to go go my own direction with it. Sure. And which is the way to do it. Yeah, really. exactly. So I, I don't have any problems with that, but I also kind of have that, that heightened feeling of like, oh man, you know, kind of like, oh great, we're going to redo, you know, my favorite story, but with all the stuff that I like taken out of it. And much more Hickman in <laughs> exactly. it. That it's, should be it's great. It's the version of the character you don't like doing the story you did like. But, I mean, I have to admit. The cats. Yeah. I, uh, I, I really do hope that, I hope that I like Christopher Priest's, uh, take on Black Panther. Cause I read some of those issues and I was a little like. <laughs> Wait. Are those issues you bought? Uh, yeah. They, I might have, I, I hadn't, cause so. I might've the entire run since I, I kind of did yeah i kind of did because they've got them on Again, three trades you have right you could you could just read it on unlimited yeah I, graham i know but i don't know i don't know what the, the heart wants what the heart wants graham what can i say it's a your little heart bit wants of and money that's yeah. what your heart wants. <laughs> there's true. one thing i realized in, in doing this podcast with you for years it's if you already own a comic and or have access to it but it's offered in a money off format. You will buy it again. Yeah, I think I I would say I really wish that it would be. I wish I had the uh, just spunk today to be like, well, that's preposterous, Graham. I, how could you even? But yeah, no, that's clearly one like a hundred and ten percent accurate. Yeah, if something goes on sale. So what happened was, as you know, Marvel there was a Bogo sale at Comicsology. Weirdly enough, with Amazon, what they did was rather than do a BOGO, they basically just cut they just everything. just the prices, right? Yeah. yeah, to like almost 50% off or more than 50% off in some cases. So I had an Amazon gift certificate that was lying about. Um, and there might have been an evening where I kind of uh, did some drunk comic book shopping. And that resulted in... <laughs> 
a lot, all, I guess, of Christopher Priest's Black Panther run. And I'm like, I do have that feeling of like, yeah, I, you know, I do hope I like I'm, this. I'm going to be really curious to see what you make of that. You know, I, from what I remember with it, there's kind of a mixture of, I find a Priest is, a, sometimes his storytelling can be a little problematic for me. Also, there's something where I feel like, Priest really brought, and a lot of people really responded to this very strongly of Black Panther as basically being the Marvel Universe Batman, you know? And I'm not sure how I feel about that. That's kind of not my take on the Black Panther, you know? But I mean, that's fine. It doesn't, you know, they don't have to match up. But I remember reading it and being kind of like, ah, yeah, but this is really Batman. This is really like, Oh, I'm 11 steps ahead of everybody in the room, you know, Batman. Yes, Except- c- continually. Yes. Yeah. Which it, it, it's it's Black Panther as he's not only outthought everyone in the room, he even knew he was going to be in the room two weeks ago. <laughs> exactly. He built and designed the room. Yeah. No. Exactly. And I I I think that it's kind of I don't know. We'll see where that goes. It's it's funny to me how much that kind of storytelling. Um, is probably where I'm at my most fickle, you know, because mm-hmm. honestly, two of my favorite c- comic book creators, Jack Kirby and Grant Morrison, both use that character a lot and it will, or rather use the, Hey, I'm going to pull the magic deus ex machina out of my ass, uh, for the big ending a, a lot, a lot. Yes. Um, yes. And for whatever reason, I'm always like, oh, that's fabulous. That limitless imagination, you know. And then when other people do it, for whatever reason, I could be very like, that's just a cheat, though. Did you guys just <laughs> cheat? Like, and I don't know why, where, where the, where the dividing line is, really, if that's oh, just. I, I think in a weird way, it's the same as the dividing line between genius and stupid when Morrison does it or say Jeff Johns does it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's entirely a con trick. Mm-hmm. Not only how confident Morrison is when he will go, cause let's say if Morrison was like, green lanterns means there's a rainbow type of lantern. Right. right. You know, people would be like, that's genius. Yeah. Uh, in part because you want to, or I think an audience wants to go, that's, that's, you know, wonderful and tapping into the core thing of the character. The other thing is Morrison and Kirby, for that extent, and and writers who we believe, who we like do that sort of thing, do the terrible shitty joke and then get off stage. And Jeff Johns goes, there's a yellow lantern, get this. There's a violet lantern, get this. There's a orange lantern, what about this? There's a red lantern, you won't believe it. There was a black lantern, <laughs> you know, but you know what I mean? Like there's, a, I think you have to be confident enough to go, here's my big idea. I'm done and run away. Well, which in many ways is a lack of confidence. Yeah. Cause but, you're getting off stage as quickly as possible as opposed to John's in particular, who's like, here's my big idea. And he's doing it again on justice league. Mm-hmm. The Joker's real name. I'm going to reveal it. Yes. I'll do it in six months, but I'll talk about it a lot. Here's yeah. an interview. Guess what I'm doing? So to, to put the point where when you get there, 
And like we're still what a month, two months away from it. Mm-hmm. I'm bored of that idea already. <laughs> and the idea that that's like his big reveal in a comic is coming out two months from now. Yeah, I'm already bored of it. Well, actually, Graham, I, I'm 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 going to split hairs with you because I actually think that at least up until we get to New Fifty Two, Jeff Johns, uh, I thought I thought Johns was one of those guys who, even though he was. Yeah, well, it's it was at least a different way of doing it. Like you said, it was clearly much more stupid and kind and very drawn out, but in a way that that also worked for me because there was a little bit of the I'm going to take this idea and I'm going to quote unquote explore it. You know, mm-hmm. I think the problem was is that it built to a point where Johns was kind of like particularly with the Green Lantern stuff with the with the spectrum of the lanterns where it's like okay and here comes like something I don't remember what it was whether it was, he was building to the whole idea behind the white lantern or whatever who did you know integrated all these colors and then it was just like eh, or or even the 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 blue like there were one or two times where he did he managed to kind of trumpet and i mean it's it is it, it gets back to that idea of like back in darkest night where he's got like fucking zombie sharks where it's like yeah johns is is willing to actually he, how do i put it 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 he opens it up into a realm that is entertainingly stupid and honestly that's the great thing with someone like kirby in that regard too except it's you know it's stupid but it's also kind of awesome you know awesome. It's, it's, yeah. it's, you know and i and so i'm very down with that it's just my problem so for me at least until john's kind of lost a little bit of his mojo uh i th- i would have included john's as one of those few people who could tell something he, it was definitely the dumber dopier version of it but it still it still I, worked for me i i'm a know? little down on john's because i've been weirdly revisiting and mainlining Johns lately. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, I told you I did the all of his GSA. Yes. Uh, I, which I then followed up with all of his Hawkman, mm-hmm. then all of Brightest Day, and Flash and Green Lantern Rebirth. Wow. Which is a lot of Johns. That is like, a lot of Johns. It's a lot of Johns concentrated. Yeah. Um, and I think before I did that, I would have agreed with you. Mm-hmm. And when you read that much Jeff Johns, that concentration, like, cause I'm talking like three weeks or something I did on that. Right. Well, um, you, you get to see his trick. Yes. A lot. Yes. And it's, it's totally unfair because, you know, that's, you know, six or seven years worth of output mm-hmm. that I was just working my way through. But, but he's, he definitely, I don't know. You you really like I said. You get to see his trick. You you get to see he's he's got his idea and he'll make it work. Damn it, no matter what. And it's one thing where the idea works, mm-hmm. and it's another one where it doesn't. But he really wants to try and convince you it works. Like reading Flash Rebirth again. Yeah, man, because that nothing about that series works. Well, okay, I, I, nothing. Okay, so the the uh, let let's parse this because I think that unlike uh, unlike any of the dudes that we just mentioned, Johns is really an interesting character to me in that he has his stuff that are that he he has the stuff where he clearly cares about the concept and it's a passion project or something something or it's something that he puts 
a lot of effort and research into like, and then there's this, like, for example, I really feel that, that Green Lantern Rebirth was John's new, it was his big break and he. Yes, it's, it's, it's a big deal. There, there's a, there's a, a level of passion there that is, is to be honest, just not present in doing uh, Flash. Right. And, and I mean, also, yes. I, I'd, I'd argue there's, there's more fun and sense of play in Justice League and JSA than there is even in Green Lantern. Yeah. No, agreed. Well, and it's interesting, you know, my, my, uh, my brother's, uh, my younger brother actually, youngest brother, I remember him saying something that really struck me and I never had the chance to go back and double check, but he was like, Goyer and Johns on JSA is really great and gets the job done. Once Goyer leaves and Johns is on his own, he's like, it doesn't work as well, which I don't know if that's really I, true that, or not. That, I would argue that's, that's true. Okay. Having, having read the books fairly recently. I would yeah, say that's exactly. True. But also, Goyer leaves the books surprisingly late. Goyer's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on for a till, lot. Yeah, at least 50, if not yeah. beyond that. Yeah. Exactly. I think, yeah, maybe up until so early I, 60s I, I or something. I honestly thought Goyer was gone super early, and he's not. Goyer is, is on that book for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really is. And, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a very satisfying book. And what's interesting to me is he leaves, and then you see Johns, and arguably I would say JSA is a passion project for him, even after Goyer leaves. Interestingly enough, I don't, I don't feel, it sounds like, can you talk about why it's not as good or what the problems are per se? Can you put your finger uh, on anything? JSA in particular? Yeah. Uh, I honestly, by that point, I think it's that so much of the, the, so much has been done mm-hmm. that there's a sense of repeating yourself mm-hmm. and also a sense of, the book doesn't really have a direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, this, this is, this is written posts on the site, people, which for once I'm referencing. Um, but I, I read the Captain Britons. I read all the Captain Britons solo stuff up until Excalibur. And you get like the first Claremont era, which, you know, is, is interesting. Uh, and then he gets, he gets replaced by, uh, Larry Lieber and Gary Friedrich, which is just a disaster. Right. Uh, and then they do the Steve Parkhouse does a Black Knight story, which is a disaster for other reasons. Then you get Alan Moore and Alan Moore comes in. Well, you get Dave Thorpe first, but he's only there for like six episodes. And then you get Alan Moore. And the Alan Moore stuff is the first stuff that actually feels like it works as a comic and works as a concept. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves at the end of his story. Mm-hmm. And you have 18 months, 16 months of Jamie Delano and Alan Davis swapping writing chores. Wow. And that's a chunk of time. Like, that's longer than the Alan Moore period. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's a series that has no reason to exist anymore. Mm-hmm. All of the momentum is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And... It's, it feels like a series that is consistently going, what do I do now? Um, okay, I'll do this. Uh, no, what, what if I do this? Uh, shit, okay, I'll do this. To the point where there's a plot that's introduced in issue one of the this, this second Captain Britain series that isn't resolved until issue 14. Not because it's a long-running plot, but because it doesn't appear in issues two through 13. <laughs> it's never referenced. Wow. Right? Um, and, and JSA, after Goyer leaves... 
has an element of that. It's not that it completely loses direction in the same way, mm-hmm. but there's not that same sense of momentum all the way up until uh, the relaunch is just the Society of America. Mm-hmm. Post's uh, Infant Crisis, I guess. Uh, the the one year later era. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is another, like, okay, I know what I'm doing with this book. Mm-hmm. And it's still John Solo. I know what I'm doing with this book. This book is now completely about legacy, and it's all the legacy heroes in the, just, in the DC universe. This is this is what I'm doing with this book. I've got my four issues opening. This is great. Oh, wait, I've been interrupted by a Justice League crossover. That's okay. Wait, I'm getting back to it. No, wait, now, now I'm co-writing with Alex Ross, and I'm doing a Kingdom Come yeah. sequel mm-hmm. for, like, 14 issues or something insane like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm going to say no. Now, now Jerry Jerry Ordway is co-writing with me, and we're doing a, a Black Adam story. I'm off the book. Right, right. And it's just uh, there's no through line anymore. And mm-hmm. there's a bunch of interesting stuff in there mm-hmm. in those issues. But when Gore was on board, even though there is a lot of, and now it's an Iron Man story. Now it's a Liberty Bell story. Now it's a blah 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 story. Mm-hmm. Tone feels consistent, and it consciously feels as if it is the work of people who are like this series is about these characters coming to terms with this thing mm-hmm. and they will do it together and they will do it apart but they are all trying trying to come to terms with who they are and how they fit in with their parents legacy mm-hmm. and then that just goes mm-hmm. so it, it's 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 still a fun book mm-hmm. but but it's a fun book that feels like it's going, oh, I was, I was going to do something. What was I going to do? Uh, I, I don't know. Right. But, but here's, here's, you know, Kingdom Come Superman. He'll, he'll do something for a while. Yeah. Yeah, no, actually, I think there is that. What I find fascinating is you can look, um, cause, cause John's has his, his hits, you know, and then he's got his stuff that feels, full of potential that that never really quite goes anywhere. Like, I remember feeling that with his run on Teen Titans, where I was like, I was suddenly, it was the first incarnation I had picked up of the Titans since, you know, since they made the leap to the Baxter paper book, you know? And, and it was like, oh, I'm into this. And, you know, he did the whole thing with, like, you know, he really did a clever way of having managing to have his cake and eat it too by having like the Deathstroke like shoot uh, Kid Flash in the kneecap, like, and it was like kneecapping Bart Allen, and you're like, no, and then and then he still managed, you know, he manages to get the dark violence, and then he managed to like still have it pay off with like a Silver Age upbeat thing, and it, you know, he had a lot. He had a lot that he kept threatening to do in there, and then it was like he was gone. Like, it just, it lost some focus. That's what I think is kind of fu- funny, is, is I feel like with John's, he will. He'll be focused up to such a long point, and then he'll sort of lose focus for an in, sometimes a really long period of time, and then he's off the book. But like like his Hawkman run, like, he has so much set in place. He He works so hard to make to snap all the pieces of the Hawkman mythos into one whole and come up with his high concept pitch with it. And then it's amazing how many issues he spends not doing anything with the high concept pitch, like more or less. Yes. Which is, which is 
terrible because mm-hmm. the high concept pitch, his high concept pitch rock band works, mm-hmm. and it's arguably the one that does for Hawkman. Yeah, absolutely. It gets to a point of like, oh, okay, here's all these pieces of the origin. Here's how they come together, and additionally, you have like this kind of great set up for a will they or won't they romance that it's like, Oh, you've got a romance underpinning the book and you've got a really good reason why these characters both feel they should and should not be together. And then, and then you could just, in theory, you could play with that. And what I found fascinating was how much John's couldn't. Sometimes I wondered the extent to which John's is really capable of playing with an idea. You know what I mean? Like he can execute an idea. He can he can posit he an idea and he really? can execute an idea. But I sometimes wonder if he can play with an idea. I'm going to disagree with you because I think he can definitely posit an idea. Uh, I'm not sure he can execute. Really? I I think he's a great ideas man. Uh huh. I think I don't know if I necessarily think would agree that he's a great at executing the ideas, which is why I'm so interested. That he is becoming the the guy who is working on the movies and the TV shows, because I think that the Flash TV show executes Jeff Johns' visions of the Flash better than Jeff Johns ever did. You know, I th- I think the TV version of the Flash works in a way that the comic book has not for a, the longest time. Uh, how so, and why? Um, how so, and why? <laughs> I'm like, I just got to make what? you back this up. Is the unfortunate well, no, thing, I, I, you know. in, in, in large part because I think the comic book version of The Flash, especially since uh, Barry Allen's comeback, mm-hmm. has gone through various degrees of not working. Mm-hmm. I think the Manipool run is the highlight. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, it's the highlight for the visuals and not mm-hmm. the writing. Yes. You definitely look at the Johns run that, that came before that, and that's just... Again, doesn't come together. Well, there's, there's uh, what, 12 issues of that? If, if that, maybe even less? I feel uh, like, Graham, I don't know how comfortable you are discussing it, but I feel like it is certainly, I don't think it's an open secret, but I don't think, my understanding is, is that John's, his, his take on Barry Allen's The Flash is, the dutiful company man who's been handed an assignment that they were like, we have to make you ha- make this work. Right. I don't think that's a passion project for him. I not even going towards that. Mm-hmm. I think his take on the flash, like to get out of the meta and into the actual text mm-hmm. is the guy who is coming, trying to come to terms with not being able to save everyone because of the death of his mother. Right. Well, okay, but... Uh, I, uh, which the TV show does, I think, execute far better than the comics ever Okay, did. well, A, that's good to know. B, I just... Uh, I, 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 see what you get, I see what you're saying. I, I just, when you put it in that... First of all, I, I'm not sure I disagree. I, I, think, I think you're probably right that, you know, the, the Flash is... I, I have absolutely no... In fact, having spoken with Jeff Johns, mm-hmm. I know that he has a great deal of affection for the Flash. Mm-hmm. Um... But I'm not sure if he has a great deal of affection for Barry Allen. As well, and that's what I was going to say is when you talk about the show executing the Flash better than Johns did, we, 
Like, we need to parse it out, because he had that huge run of Wally West Flash stories. I'm talking to Flash as he exists now. Okay, I think that's a very important distinction. So, Uh, But but he... Do you watch the show? No. Have you watched the show? No. Why not? Is it just I can't be bothered, which is completely valid. I'm just curious. It's 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 one part the I can't be bothered to. I don't watch. I don't really watch any TV on my own. Like if I am on my own, I am at, at the most motivated I can do is watch a movie on HBO now. You know, but generally, as a rule of thumb, when I'm on my own. I read comics. I occasionally goof around with a video game. I, you know, bullshit around on the internet. What, whatever it happens to be, and it seems like there's never enough time for it. So the TV that I watch is very shaped by the TV that my wife wants to watch, and she tried watching a couple episodes of Flash and found it dirt dull. So she's not. So something. So we'll watch Gotham. Which is something that, uh, you know, like I, I'm caught up to on Gotham and, and that has various interests for me, gothically speaking. But if she didn't want to watch it, I wouldn't be watching Gotham, you know? So I think there's a lot of that with Flash. Why I keep hearing why how good it hate, is. Yeah. Well, that's it. Why, <laughs> why, why I gotta be indifferent, you know? So I mean, it's just, it's, it is one of those things. If she was into Flash, we would have seen every episode. Are, are you into Flash? Like as a character? You know, I am into, I feel like I'm into the occasion, I don't have an inherent affection for the character itself. I think like a lot of people, I had a lot more affection for Wally West than I do for Barry Allen. I have a lot of, for a guy who likes, I started writing kind of like a faux superhero novel and it was about a super speedster and I like the idea of writing about someone with speed and I like the idea of sort of thinking about the ideas of someone with speed but but in part there's a way in which I'm not interested in the character the way they tend to get handled. Because for me, I'm just like, I can never suspend my disbelief with the Flash. I, I unless Unless there is... A really compelling, like Mark Wade's run, Jeff Johns's run. There was always a lot more stuff being thrown at you, kind of like you kind of have to keep yourself distracted from the fact that the Flash, in reality, to me, is basically a super unstoppable character. It seems ridiculous. Do, do you have do you yeah. have that with other characters? I mean, I know you're more a Marvel guy than a DC guy, and DC guys are, if you look at them that way, almost all of them are unstoppable. Yeah, like Green Lantern can do whatever the fuck he wants with his magic wishing ring. Yeah, exactly. Like if you really think about that, every Green Lantern story is, oh, I'm breaking out of a bank with all the money. Now I'm in jail. What happens? Yeah, exactly. Which to me make is part of why I think that Green Lantern stories. It makes sense that at a certain point they sort of disappear up their own butthole, and it's just you know the guy with the giant boxing glove and the guy with the giant you know catcher's mitt you know, battling it off, you know, it's like, and so that's it. It's kind of like, yeah, the guy for, oh, the so, super see, speed now, versus the guy not, versus super speed, you know? We're not getting horribly, horribly off topic because I know you want to talk about recent comics, but who are your favorite superheroes and do they have that problem? 
yeah, I don't. I I mean, it's such a weird like, thing because like I love Superman, I love Green Lantern, I love the Flash. Like I love I those are my genuinely favorite right superheroes. Yeah, and my I mean, when, you get to, when you get to Marvel, I'm it's completely different. I'm like, oh yeah, Hank McCoy and Ben Grimm, right? And it you know it's much lower powered guys yeah but but and you know in overall like i sure superman is, is fucking great yeah and but i just started, again yeah. i got like i it wouldn't even occur to me to take it to that level of well if you really think about it because you don't well no exactly you, you know don't I mean? like you you don't but i'm now super curious who are so who are your favorite guys well it seems like batman's my favorite guy which is interesting because it seems like part of what Grant Morrison and everyone else has done is to make make Batman as seemingly unstoppable and immortal as everyone else, despite the fact that he's just just a regular guy. Uh, I I guess I like I like Batman. Um, you know, I still like Spider Man. Uh, I picked up a weird fondness for like Deadpool. Uh, you know, really? I tend to follow. I tend to really? follow. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I tend to, f- I think I feel like I follow creators more than I follow characters, which is why there's not really any one, you know, the only time I have like an eternal run, a, con- a complete run of something is if, if it's. It gets canceled. Yeah, it's by, it's like, so, you know, but it's like, you know, I love, I love, say, Morrison era Doom Patrol, but did I have any interest in those characters once he left? It's like, I read two issues of whatever Rachel Pollock was doing, and I'm like, I'm not into this, you know? I mean, it really wasn't her fault because she was trying to do all, you know, God knows she was trying to keep it very Morrisonian, but, you know, I just, so there's part of me that it's, a little harder for me, especially when we get over to the DC side of the scale. I like the guys who are just weird. And frankly, it is a little closer of, I would much rather read a story about Wildcat than I would about Superman. Not necessarily a story about, I mean, most of the story, because Wildcat only, they just have him do the same fucking thing over and over again. I'm going to ride my bike. Oh, now I got to be in a boxing ring. Ah, wait, now there's a guy. Oh, no, he double-crossed someone else. Biff, now he's down for the count. Here you go, Ace, off on the motorcycle. Ah, you know, and that's like, <laughs> that's... Ladies that. and gentlemen, Jeff Lester's DC Rebirth Wildcats will be launching in October. Power. We're all, we're all very excited. The way it began, with Wildcat. Uh, yeah, no, I just, uh... <laughs> <laughs> What is a nightmare? Webster's Dictionary tells us. No, anyway. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> oh, can we please have a Wildcat series, which is you writing in Cod Bob Haney? <laughs> that, that actually... The thing is, is never! <laughs> it, that would be great. I mean, but no, honestly, I'm sure if I got Wildcat, and I would love to do Wildcat, I, part of me is like, it would totally be about this guy who is absolutely the best while also being just like... Kind of a big middle-aged loser. You know what I mean? Like, he's just... He's just... I mean... Yeah. One of the things about reading JSA that really struck me is... I miss Wildcat. Mm-hmm. Because there's... there's, I think there's a version of Ted Grant in the, the current Earth 2 series. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same guy. Yeah. And the Wildcat that existed was kind of awesome because he was the middle-aged loser scrapper dude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's something... 
genuinely fun about that character. Yeah. Especially the one who's just like, I taught Batman how to box. There's something great about that blowhard. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Is. So, uh, I, uh, so actually, so to roll things back a little bit, honestly, the, the DC characters, a lot of them, no matter how they posit otherwise, I think the interest to me for a long time, I think in the 90s, actually, was where this transition happened, where I moved from Marvel over to DC, in part through Alan Moore in the 80s, and in part through Vertigo, and just, I don't know, at a certain point, just not following what was happening in Marvel or not being into it at all. But the DC stuff struck me as, because they had been just generating IP for so long, their... um, the DC universe just was so kaleidoscopic in a way that the Marvel universe kind of wasn't. Uh, and also I felt that because of the legacy stuff, I kind of had this thing where there was a little bit of an idea about, Oh, this is what it's like to grow up kind of like this. This is what growing up is about. Like seeing some of these characters, you could have middle-aged characters in the JSA and you could have their relations with their their kids or their offspring or you know another incarnation of themselves and and most of it was in a way pretty gentle and kind of a reassuring idea about middle age that of course DC kind of went through various uh stages of like kind of trying to correct that and in some cases I think you know correct you know I thought the whole thing with Kyle, uh, with, uh, bringing in Kyle Rayner, I was kind of bummed what they did to Hal Jordan to make that happen. But on the way, I was like, at, at a certain point, as you and I have talked about, one of the things that was great about Morrison's Justice League was kind of like understanding how much fun it is to mix the old pros with the new guys and, and how much you can, how much you can, get out of that dynamic yeah. especially how much mileage there is in the like your point of view character you know multiple point of view characters spending on what reader you are exactly yeah you know and that's that's super great in fact i think that's one of the reasons why uh it seems to me um the the jla cartoon was so successful and you know had a lot of uh, resonance for character for, for, for readers, you know, is, mm-hmm. is for, just for that very reason is like, oh yeah, no, there's different viewpoints. There's different entrances into here. And it's also fun because at that point, you know, there's a, there's, there's that foreground background type thing, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's kind of, it can be dull sometimes when it's like every superhero is like the greatest superhero, you know? Yeah. Um, can, I, can I pivot off this to actually talk about something I read this week? Then please, please do. I mean, I caught up. With, I actually caught up with a bunch of Marvel books actually, but I caught up with them um, all new, all different Avengers, which is trying to do that exact thing mm, mm-hmm. because it's pairing uh, Captain America, who of course right now is Sam Wilson, with Iron Man, two old hands, with the Vision. Yes, is uh, I have lots of feelings about the Vision and the Vision having his own book at the same time, um, but with Ms. Marvel, Nova, and Miles Morales as the young kids and Thor as the unknowable. And it plays heavily on the 
Ms. Marvel and Nova and Miles Morales are two different levels fanboys who are getting to play with the big guys. Right. Element. It really leans heavily on that. Mm-hmm. Arguably too heavily. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely going for the same cross-generational appeal that Morrison was doing in JLA. Hmm. Interesting. Um, there's, there's a bunch that's wrong with the book. Mm-hmm. In large part because it really doesn't have that much going for it beyond that. And, um, Mahmoud Ashrar doing art every now and again. But he's not even the regular artist. He's one of two with Andy Kubert being the other artist. And there are, t- there are styles do not match. Do not. Um, and so it feels like two very different books, depending on who's drawing it. And Wade doesn't really... I mean, I'm sure he has a, a plan and a direction. <laughs> but he doesn't seem to. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Again, remember, I remember I, you and me I, arguing I, about his Hulk book. And I was like... Sure, no, I, I know. And I was like, oh, it's finally come around. No, it didn't. It spun, like, massively off the rails after that. But, you know, as as a counter-argument to that, I think his Daredevil held together surprisingly well in the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you end up reading that or not? Uh, no, no. I, I'm I, sadly that was the noises of like shit. I need to. I that is Ooh, that is one of the great Marvel do. Unlimited. Yeah, no, I yeah, agree. Genuine, no, because it's because him I and think, yeah, Sammy. And, mm-hmm. But I think you would actually get a lot out of what Wade does with that book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it would it would really work for you in a way that a lot of other Marvel books don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is something that it builds successfully. You get to the end and you're like, oh, you did have a plan. You did know what you were doing. That's great. Uh, yeah. In a way that, you know, Hulk, oh, shit, definitely didn't. <laughs> right. Uh, but but Avengers also it just feels like he's like, okay, I'm, it's going to be great because it's going to be the young kids and the old hands. Okay. Right. Exactly. You know, and you know, however, it's like six or seven issues in now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, there's still that feeling of like, okay, you guys. And bless him. He's trying his hardest. Do you know what I mean? Like the villains will say things like, ah, if you only knew what the dynasty is up to. Right. But that foreshadowing just doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, another Marvel run I caught up with was Spencer and Akuna's Captain America. Hmm. Which I liked a lot. Hmm. Genuinely surprised by how much I liked it. To the point where I was like, I'm going to read Rick Remender's uh, Sam Wilson's Captain America. Mm. Holy shit. (laughs) Holy shit. It's actually impressive how much of Spencer's Captain America outright ignores Remender's. Uh, in terms of not only tone, because I don't know if it was Spencer's idea or editorial went to him and said, lighten this book the fuck up. But Spencer is essentially writing a good-natured, upbeat superhero thriller. Oh, I want to read that. And Remender's writing, you know, Rick Remender paranoid thriller generic plots number 72. Uh, I, I... I have such a problem with Remender's work, especially at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, but Remender's book, like, literally ends on a cliffhanger <laughs> that Spencer just ignores. Really? Wow. Spencer ignores. You know, uh, Remender's book ends with, with uh, Hydra is getting back together. 
under the leadership of Baron Zemo, there is a kid who's an inhuman, because of course he is, whose blood will release a toxic agent into the air that will kill everyone around him. Mm -hmm. He is saved by Captain America, except, of course, he himself has been indoctrinated to Hydra. He's given to Misty Knight, who's working for S.H.I.E.L.D., and the cliffhanger is, she's not working for S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) The book ends with, she's gone, she's not working for S.H.I.E.L.D., this kid is gone too. Hmm. Spencer then picks up, and admittedly, like it's the eight months later, Sam is still working with Misty. Kids never mentioned again. Wow. You know, if... Never mentioned. And also, Baron Zemo, not in charge of Hydra anymore. You know, here's the thing. I don't have a wide enough bench of knowledge to actually back this up. But I am going to go on a limb and say that Captain America is hands down the number one title where creators come in and completely ignore what previously has gone on. Cause I, uh, uh, really? yes. Cause I'll tell you, you've got Engelhart. Engelhart has all of his dangling threads and stuff that, that are there. And then Kirby comes in, I guess the John Warner tries to, you know, carry some of those along. And then Kirby comes in. Kirby pays attention to none of it. Oh, Absolutely. Kirby. Yeah. yeah. Kirby is Kirby, right? One of the things that strikes me is you've got this whole situation where Spencer totally ignores what Remender does. And arguably, the, you know, the most successful Captain America run by Ed Brubaker opens up with him literally ignoring the stuff that John Nay Raber did uh, before him. Like, yeah, but he wasn't like there was a bunch of people between Raber and, and Brubaker. I was there. I yeah, don't there remember. Was Raber and then there oh, was Chuck Austin. Uh, wasn't Chuck Austin in there? Chuck Austin was in there. Then I want to say Robert Morales was in there. Robert Kirkman oh, yeah, was in you're there. You're right. You're right. Morales and Kirkman. You're right. So right. It's like 36 issues of stuff. And there's previous plots like because some of uh, some of Brubaker's thing like he has something real early on where like. Um, Caps starts remembering stuff that didn't actually happen, and he's not sure, like, where those memories are coming from. And honestly, I, I don't even remember. I think it's because of the... It's a the, Cosmic Cube, isn't it? Yeah, the Cosmic Cube. Yeah. But uh, I remember, like, because it, it was during those times where I actually uh, had managed to swap emails with Brubaker... And I was kind of like, you do know that the previous guys were doing a storyline a lot like this. Because I think Nay Ryber had one where it was like uh, some – or no, maybe it was Chuck Austin with like – I want to say it was when Nay Ryber was credited as plotting even though he clearly wasn't. Mm-hmm. And Chuck Austin was, was overriding him. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right, where something with Cap and Submariner and, and memories that have been blocked or implanted or something. And I said something like, you do know this was a previous storyline right before, right? And he said something like, fuck no, I didn't read that shit. You know, which I thought was <laughs> like the best reply ever. Because he went – and he, you know, he fucking earned it. But – but I'm fascinated by the idea that that Spencer just came in and was like, okay. And like, Spencer, Spencer has clearly read it. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because he, he picks up the Misty is, is, is not to be trusted. Sure. Like, he, he, he picks up that and runs with it. But he's quite clearly gone, oh, I'm, I'm not dealing with half of that shit. Yeah. Which is amazing. And also, the book is so much better because of it. Like, right. Spencer and Akuna's Captain America is actually great. 
Right. Well, but she was surprised by how good it was. But and I'm actually going to go out on a limb and also say because as someone who loves Kirby's stuff, uh, even though I was kind of heartbroken on the jump, you know, being such a huge fan of the Inglehart stuff and kind of. Um, you know, emotionally cut, uh, emotionally adrift. Um, you know, I think, I think there's, there is this weird thing of people who are like, okay, I'm going to pick up Captain America and I'm going to do it even, you know, and there is a little bit of the, um, I just, I bet if we go back and look at it, there would be even more where like somebody like Steve Gerber, what Steve Gerber was doing with Captain America and where he gets to it and the, the storylines and the supporting characters that he has, like Stern and Byrne are going to walk in and be like, nope, you know, like we're yeah. doing a totally different I, Captain America. But I, we wanted, do not I want to say at least to Matthias really does carry over what, he, what was going on before the book. Oh yeah. Uh, and of course, Grubal does because... Right, his name is Mark Greenwald. You know, yeah, yeah. Of, of course he does. Um, I yeah, I have to say, Jeff uh, Spencer's Captain America. I think you dig it a lot. Okay, is it? Is not, his are, are the issues for, on Marvel? First Unlimited? couple, first couple of issues are on Unlimited, okay. and it was reading those that got me to go. Oh, I should actually read this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I should, I should head over to Comicsology and get some more issues of this. Wow. Oh. Oh. Okay. Um, in large part because. You read Superior Foes of Spider-Man, right? No, that's another one that's bookmarked on the old uh, yes. Unlimited. That it feels to me very much like, I mean, it's obviously a slightly more serious take, mm-hmm. but, and also in Spencer's Ant-Man as well, he does a very good everyman's take on the Marvel concepts. Mm-hmm. And so you have Sam Wilson being a superhero for whom this is a job. I mean, sure, it's a legacy and an honor and everything that all the characters normally say, but for him, it's a job. And it's a job that he loves, but it's also a job where he's like, oh, for fuck's sake, this job is really fucking annoying. And the this, this series opens up with him going, then I made the mistake of deciding that Captain America should stand for something. And I gave a press conference talking about all the politics I believe in. And now half the country hates me. Mm-hmm. And that's a running joke through the book. Mm-hmm. That people will protest and be like, you're not my Captain America. That's really funny. You know, yeah. it's 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 uh, it, it. This sounds like I'm I'm being dismissive, but it's genuinely cute. Like it's full of nice ideas like that. We're like, okay, I I I can go along with this totally. Right, right. Yeah, no, I should I should check it out. I really should. Um, yeah, the first, the first couple of issues are on unlimited, and. I, honestly, I checked them out because I was like, Daniel Acuna's art is great. Daniel Acuna's art like is Daniel great. Yeah. He's drawing Captain America. Bet that book looks great. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it reads great too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually Acuna that got me to read Avengers Standoff. Cole, uh, sorry, Avengers colon Standoff exclamation point. Assault on Pleasant Hill. <laughs> uh, M dash. Alpha and Omega. Right. Because, you know. That's a good title. That is a good title. It it just trips off the tongue, right? So so catchy. Um, I, the alpha is drawn by Jesus Saiz, and the omega is drawn in part by Akuna. Hmm. And I actually read the omega first because it was Akuna. Ah. Um, and it's, I mean, it's dumb as shit. <laughs> but it re- it really is. It's it's. I rarely has a crossover been so bluntly I am setting up a spin-off I am setting off another spin-off mm. I am set it's 
it's it feels like someone went to Spencer. Okay, so we've got to get Steve Rogers young again. And if you can launch a new Thunderbolt series out of that, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. And if you could get a new Quasar as well, yeah, can you do that? And also Baron Zemo's in the Captain America film. Can you get a Baron Zemo back in circulation? Right. He was like, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And then as he's writing the book, he's got a checklist. Okay. Bing. Done that. Bing. Done that. But, uh, it- just, 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 just actually out of curiosity, uh, so does that mean that it's Marvel's equivalent of DC's Legends? Um, because you know, I'm just saying. I, I know no, you have a very strong fondness for Legends, but oh, Legends no, it, it is, is a is oh, Legends, is, Legends is, is Legends is almost worse. Yeah, yeah. Legends is literally here's the Justice League issue, here's the Suicide Squad issue, here's the Shazam issue. Exactly. Here's- I never, like, you know, I will pretend it's all one story by having Darkseid at the end of each issue go, ha ha, a legend has fallen. <laughs> but that's what it is. I mean, Legends is hilariously terribly put together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, no, it's, it's actually, uh, it's actually more organic, but I give Legends a lot more leeway because I think, I would like to think the comics have gotten better about this in the last 30 years. Maybe they've not, but I'd like to think that they have. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I was just younger and dumber. But I would like, I was at least younger. Maybe I was dumber. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, like I said, it's a dumb, dumb crossover, but weirdly charming still. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I can't be too upset at bringing the version of the Thunderbolts I like back into circulation. Right. It pretty much just reboots the the music team. Yeah. So, sure. <laughs> so okay. you're like, so sure, I'll take it. Well, no, exactly. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. fine. I mean, the Quasar thing is just dumb. The Quasar thing is amazingly half-assed. Literally, in the last issue, the old Quasar walks on, st- uh, on panel and it's like, you, you look like you're good. Here, have the quantum bands. Now you are Quasar. <laughs> Out of nowhere. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's, but that's how blunt all of it is. Do you know what I mean? Like, fate has put these supervillains together. They just happen to be the old Thunderbolts theme, but it's fate. Fate, I assure you. Yeah. yeah. How did Captain America come young again? There's a cosmic cube. Okay. You got that? Cosmic Cube. And the, 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 uh, the last issue of it has Sam Wilson be like, oh, you're Captain America. And Steve Rogers is like, yes, but you're Captain America. And Sam's like, what if we are both Captain America? Turn to reader. What do you think? <laughs> like, it's like that. You know, so I mean, it's not a million miles away from Legends. Right. All it needed was, Byron Zemo on the last page being like, the legends have fallen! (laughs) (laughs) That would have been the best. This totally reminds me. I was actually thinking about legends the other day because I was thinking about the Phantom Stranger. Do you know where the name of the Phantom Stranger came from? No. No, I'm not. I don't have an answer. I was actually... Oh, okay. I was like, tell me. I can't wait to hear this. Part of me was wondering, is it that it almost rhymes with random stranger? Maybe. Uh, Phantom Stranger, Random Stranger. Could be. I don't know. I t- just the other day, I was like, where does, where does the name Phantom Stranger come from? You know, that's as good an explanation I've heard well, as it's any. Such a, 
an odd name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway, those are comics I read, Jeff. Why don't you talk about comics you read? Because we were going to do that before we got completely sidetracked by me continually bringing up random shit. Yeah, you did a great job, too, I have to say. Uh, okay, a few things that I'll talk about. Um, uh, one thing that I read, and this was fascinating to me in a way, is during our quote-unquote break where we were where i was also reading fantastic four comics three or four times over yeah a break that we recorded two fantastic four episodes only one of which you heard only yeah exactly one of which survived uh i read a reread electra assassin by frank miller and bill sienkiewicz and what I thought was fascinating because that was there had been an earlier uh to tie in with um Daredevil, you know, season two of Daredevil on Netflix, Marvel, I think, you know, sort of did a one day or maybe two day comicsology sale where they're like, Oh, here's Punisher comics and Daredevil comics and Electro Comics all on sale for you know, ninety nine cents ago. And I was like, Holy shit, they've got Electra Assassin here. I bet that looks pretty good and that would be a fun reread. And it is. Here's the weird thing though, for me, is due to just the way my life is and was at that time, I was like, I'm going to sit down and read them all in the, you know, (laughs) trademark Graham McMillan, a wonder. And instead, I just ended up like I would read an episode, I would start to read the next, and then Edie would be like, hey, our house is on fire, you know, something. So I, so basically, I ended up reading them maybe one issue a night, or maybe one issue every other night. And I think maybe by the end, I was able to read the last two side by side. But A, it was... Putting afterward, I was like, oh man, I'm kind of sorry that I didn't read it all in a go, except here's the thing. I'm not sure that it would have uh, worked all in a go, or it wouldn't have worked as well. Because you have, you've got Miller and Sakevich doing, uh, Jesus, I forget, is it eight issues? I think it's an eight issue. Is it, is it, I always thought it was shorter. Is it, I always is... thought it was six, but I'm pretty yeah, I sure it it's six. eight. Okay. Well, let me, let me double check here. Because it's, I, it was one of those things where it's because I read it a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, holy crap! I don't even remember how long ago. Uh, where are you under my recently downloaded SOB? It's not going to turn up now. Oh, you bastard! One second, please. Exactly. One second, please. Please hold. I can't even spell Electra right. Electra Assassin. Eight books. So yeah, wow. it's okay. it's eight issues, right? Exactly. I had that same thing of like, oh, I would have thought that it was a six issue, in part because, in a way, we're like, oh right, like things are in six issues now. You know what I mean? They were telling one whole complete story, but this is back before the days of, and this is what I think is really fascinating, before trade paperbacks. In fact, what I find fascinating is seeing Miller and Sukevich tell one story in a way that is not is clearly not designed to be read as a graphic novel it's designed to sort of be read as eight individual comics yeah, as far as i yeah. can tell and so it's from that weird it's it's on the cusp it's literally on the cusp of those days where it's like things the formats are changing but before they've managed to hit what they're supposed to be so miller for example 
is scrupulous about having each issue recap what came before and what the setups are. And in fact, one of the that's, things that's what comics did. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And so he would re every issue, he'd come up with a new way to recap it. Uh, usually in the point, like once he brings shield into the mix, which is really early on, but they just sort of grow sort of stronger and stronger. And it's, it's almost like, uh, how do I put it? If you think of it, if you try and think of it as one organic project, as like a graphic, if you were, I think if I was reading it as a graphic novel, it's this weird mix of tedium, um, relieved by absolutely amazing, um, Sienkiewicz art. But also on top of that is Miller doing a very, like all this stuff, you know, I don't know if he still does this cause I don't, I don't subscribe to the newsletter, but it used to be back when you were subscribed to Warren Ellis's, uh, old newsletter and, or followed him on, uh, his webpage. It every, I don't know, three or four weeks, he'd stay up too late and have too much to drink. And he'd start talking about comics in terms of music and especially rhythm, like talking about the percussion of comics and Miller takes that idea and makes it so impressively manifest. Uh, he does it throughout. You'll see it in uh, his, what I think of as his middle era work, I guess. You look at Batman Year One, you look at uh, Daredevil Born Again, and you look at Electra Assassin, and he uses lots of small captions for stream of consciousness with a lot of repetition in them and or um uh repetition for sound effects like i'll never forget the way that he uses the the scene in daredevil born again where ben ulrich goes to visit the prisoner uh in prison uh i think he's a bookkeeper or whatever and like the guard the prison guard guns guns down the guy right in front of him and then goes to try and gun down Ben Urich. And all you hear is the bang noise. It's just this bang, 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 and it's off panel. And you usually just see Urich's horrified reaction to it. And the way that Miller uses the repetition for it is amazing. And it's similar here in Electra Assassin. You get whole sequences which have Garrett, your sort of reader focus character, uh, you know, running across, uh, an, uh, you know, stuck in some sort of chase scene or something like that. And there's gunshots going off and he's like, Jesus, baby, don't move, baby, look out for the Jesus, you know, kind of thing that he does. And meanwhile, Electra is like hacking up ninjas back and forth. And of course, you know, Garrett is the character that's vulnerable and you're concerned with. So it works, but also just the pacing is fantastic. And then you'll get to where he builds it to this like crazy staccato nerve wracked rhythm. And then you flip a page and there's like a full page illustration by Sienkiewicz that is just jaw dropping and usually no words to it or minimal amounts of words. And it is so effective. But what I found fascinating while reading it is that trick more or less gets used every issue. 
like and almost at the same level of pacing, it might be it might be a different type of fight. It might be a different type of like they're on a helicopter and they're being chased by Chastity McBride and the Shield agents. And hilariously enough, Bill Sienkiewicz has drawn you know drawn all of the helicopters to look like women's footwear or whatever. And um, you know, but it's still this. It's still got that same rhythm. And so it was kind of like reading a story. It was a lot like reading Marvel comics back in the eighties in a way in that you were reading a story, but since the story was being told the same way, it was also like reading the same comic book over and over and over Over again. again. And I'm not sure like trying to read that in a trade paperback, if that would have been, I think it would have had a level of, of stultifying monotony that I don't think that the creators had intended, but, uh, but really just fascinating and also just fascinating at just how amazing like Sienkiewicz is stunning. Like at the top of his game, he is just breathtaking in and out. I, there's just, you know, for, for, for guys like me, there was just nobody in American comics, especially someone so right in the heart of the mainstream comics who was doing stuff that was so um, ab- absurdly confident, you know? It's, um, it's really interesting because who is doing that now in mainstream comics? Well, see, that's the problem. You can see guys who are doing – who, like who took that. Sienkiewicz's tools, like yeah, literally yeah. doing that. The, the closest that I can see is Mike Del Mundo is when I was looking at Weird World, it was clear that he looked at Sienkiewicz's uh, work and was trying to mimic not just sort of the splash of, you know, sort of hazy colors with like suddenly distinct painting, but a lot of the idea of trying trying to pack a lot of the visual wit into the pages. Um, I, what I actually meant was like, who is doing the... Who is working so outside of the visual norm? Oh, right. Yeah. No, and I think that's actually a bigger question. And I'm not sure. Because, again, I'm like, Mike Del Mundo is doing amazing stuff. But his stuff that he's doing is entirely stuff that Sienkiewicz, you know, pioneered. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what... Because we're, we're at this really weird stage now where you have... You'll have a David Aha. Mm-hmm. Or you'll have an Erica Henderson. Mm-hmm. Or you'll have you'll have a, a Mike Zomendo. Mm-hmm. You'll have um Darwin Cook. Mm-hmm. All of which are now accepted styles mm-hmm. in the mainstream because I feel like the, the mainstream's visual vocabulary has expanded. Yes. From where it was in the eighties. Right. But because of that, I can't think of someone who comes in and is just where the shit did this person come from? In the same way that Singavage or later uh, Dave McKean did. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and McKean was also horrifically influenced by Sienkiewicz. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose they're both heavily influenced by Laird Barron, I suppose, but like, but Sienkiewicz really. Yeah, there's, was there's like Barron's story in there. And there's Sorry. There's, you know, yeah. Barron's story. Right, right, right. Sorry. But, but, um, but do you know what I mean? Like, I, there's no, I can't think of any artist who had the, I mean, I, you know, you're you're a bit older than me, but I remember seeing Sinkevich on New Mutants when it was coming out. Oh yeah, right. And I, like it scared me. Yes. Like 
didn't like it. I thought it was ugly. Yeah, and I was eight years it, older it a, than you, was, and I basically felt the same. Un- it was an unsettling comic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and I and I can't think I can't think of anyone working in mainstream comics these days doing that. Yeah, well, it's it's hard because there's probably hopefully people will write in with a bunch of suggestions for it's going to be stuff that's right under our nose. You know, I mean, I don't know how mainstream it is, but I remember I still have that feeling when I pick up uh, Saga that Fiona Staples feels like a really fully formed, incredibly witty storyteller that sort of. I was, that was, that kind of wasn't on my radar at all and is like right in the thick of that radar. Yeah, no, I, I totally got it. You're <laughs> like, oh shit, this person's really, really good. Yeah, this person's really good. And, and it's also kind of, it's re, it's much harder to sit down and parse out where their influences are. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I would, I would have a lot more, more difficult time. If, you know, trying to sit down and, and figure out where Staples was looking at and stuff like that, as opposed to, I don't know, you know, someone like Greg Capullo, whose work I adore, but, you know, clearly comes, you know, I, I know I've seen the trajectory. It's, he's been around for a while, so I've seen that trajectory really come, you know, and also it does help that in some cases I feel like our, um, our vocabulary, comics vocabulary for everyone has gotten better, you know? Well, that's, that's just it. Like there is so much more that we recognize now because in large part of someone like Sienkiewicz. Mm -hmm. Well, someone like Sienkiewicz, but also I think because this stuff is actually staying in print, you know, I mean, it's, it's really easy to th- to to look back and and see how someone like Jim Steranko was able to blow people away, admittedly taking you know his putting his own take on things, but a lot of stuff that he was taking he was pulling really strongly from like Will Eisner, you know, and similarly when Miller, there's so much that Miller was doing that he was pulling right from Eisner as well, and there were. There were older aficionados who were kind of like, oh, I know what he was doing. But, but oh, the yeah, majority they, they, of us yeah, were true. kind of, you know, like, I had no Wait, fucking yeah, idea. What, what is this? You can do this? Yeah. It's true. I remember seeing David Mazzucchelli's um, Batman Year One. Right. And being like, what? And then you look at, like, a Toth. Yes. And you're like, oh, I, okay, sure. Right. Look at Toth or uh, even some of the European guys, you know, uh, Hugo Pratt or other things. You know, there's there's some amazing your some of the pacing uh, that you can you can find that I feel that. Well, not Masicelli definitely was doing Toth and doing some other stuff. But like the pacing that Miller was taking on was was moving more from some of the European comics Whereas previously he'd been pulling so much stuff from, you know, the Eastern comics. I mean, that's the thing, you know, the stuff that he was doing that was blowing people away. That's like, oh my God. And then you see, you know, we, we live in a time where you can go out and you can get lone wolf and cub, you know, and, and we've been able to for a while and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I see where this is coming from, you know? So, uh, but anyway, so yeah, Electra Assassin was still, what was fascinating to me was how enjoyable it was, but interestingly enough, in that weird way, like almost like a collection of short stories, like I was like, I can't, I, you really yeah, I, I have, have to, I have to pace this out. I yeah. have to, I have to actually take a break. Yeah. Um, other things that I ended up reading, um, was I ended up reading, uh, two, 
trades of Brubaker and Phillips criminal, actually. Uh, I reread Bad Night and uh, Last of the Innocent. And is that another sale thing, or were you just in the mood? Uh, <laughs> oh, crap. You can see no, right I'm, through I'm, I'm curious. Like, yes. Why, why, why it, revisit Criminal? Well, it was it, it was a sale, actually. They they had the sale because I think the Eisner's oh, sale. The, and also the but also the new one's out or has, is coming out? Yes. No, came out. And I, I actually just read it today. And it was quite good. I have to say it was right in that patch. In fact, the, the this um, – Issue which I actually bought in magazine format. I guess it was the week out, but the Deadly Hands of Criminal special anniversary issue featuring Fang, the Kung Fu werewolf, um, is a really, really enjoyable read. <laughs> that uh, honestly has a name that could be translated as Jeff Lester the comic. Oh, so right. much. Yes. <laughs> it's honestly like for bigger someone going, uh, how can I how can I get Jeff to pick this up? Well, and then you pick it up and it's basically a story about a loner kid who's in a small town in northern California. Oh uh, shit, it is Jeff Lester. Yeah, book. exactly. And it revolves around his attempt to basically get a back issue of a comic book in a used bookstore and I'm like, "Wow, this is terrifyingly on me." I mean, it was it was uh, an exceptionally strong I, – I thought it was quite a strong little story. But I also had a lot to like for both Bad Night and um, and Last of the Innocent as well. The closest thing I have to a complaint is halfway through um, Last of – so Last of the Innocent is – I think you might remember is the one where it's quote-unquote Archie uh, in, in oh, a yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. crime noir story. and. Uh, it's Brubaker sort of t- talking about, I mean, both it and Bad Night, interestingly enough, are, uh, an int- as is this, this criminal's one shot, in fact, about comic books and crime and also, uh, well, various other things. Like there's a certain level degree of, um, Last of the Innocent very specifically tackles the idea of nostalgia, uh, but, there's a sequence where I'm totally into it. Like the Archie character has decided to commit the perfect crime. No one sees it coming. You know, it's really Archie Andrews is the talented Mr. Ripley and it's great. And then there's a character who is there to trip him up, who is a, um, a character named Brit Black, which is really, I, Brit, it, I didn't catch this the first time, but clearly Brit is short for Britannica. And this is this is a grown up version of Encyclopedia Brown uh, that is out is hired by the, you know, another character to try and thwart Archie's plans and starts looking into him. And all of that was great until there was this weird thing where I realized, like, oh, this Brit Black character is being drawn to look like um, Will Wheaton, you know, like it was suddenly really. Oh, God obvious I, and I, I don't know why you said that why you said that I, like i had this revulsion yeah. <laughs> it's like no <laughs> right right like there's that weird thing where i don't know it was that weird and thing I've, of i've read this comic and i don't remember that i'm yeah. googling him right now yeah you should go and look because i tell you i was like oh oh no and maybe it's just my imagination but then so i go and i read 
Bad Night, which did you read that one as well? That's that's uh, the one uh, where is that I I've I've read a bunch of criminal and I but I read them like I couldn't tell you the, the story right. titles based based on the title. Bad Night is the one where it's the the crippled cartoonist who's drawing the Frank Kafka P.I. And he ends oh, up God. getting involved Fight. with the, the, the crazy couple. And, you know, he tells the femme fatale that he used to be a counterfeiter. And so they pull him in to work out, to oh, do this. Maybe crime. I have, yeah. Maybe I have read of that. Yeah. And it's, it's really good, but I'm reading it. And at a certain point, it's like page four. I'm like, holy fuck, the main character is Matt Fraction. And so like, I keep reading the, the book and I'm like, ah, it's so distracting. Cause on some panels, it doesn't look anything like Fraction. It's supposed to look like, you know, schlubby middle-aged guy who parts his hair in the middle wearing glasses. And then they'll cut to a shot of him, like, staring off into the distance or something straight on. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's Matt Fraction. Stop doing this to me. Blah. So, um, so yeah, hopefully listeners, you can unhear that. Cause let me tell you, it does not, a, it does, it's not necessarily a big bonus for your reading of those two titles, but, and, um, you know, they're great though. They're really strong. And, uh, uh, but that was, did you find the pictures of Brit Black? In I've, I've actually not. And so I hope when you put the episodes, I will, uh, I can uh, do some the screenshots show notes together. You can, yeah. put, you can put screenshots in. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What, what else did I read? Well, there's a few things I want to talk about that, that are recent comics that I just picked up that I quite enjoyed. I should mention four kids walk into a bank, which is, I think the first black mask comic that i've read apart from maybe some terrible anthology book or something that they Pe- did. people are loving that book it is graham you should really read it you, i think i would be i think you would get a kick out of it because it is really really well done comedy but you know with story like there's adventure storytelling with stakes in it but the the comedy stuff is Really solid. Like I kind of picked it up and with the cover, I wasn't paying too much attention. I'm like, oh yeah, four kids walk into a bank. Yeah, there's some kids. But I was basically kind of like, okay, I'm just going to jump into this. This will <laughs> oh, be like, there's perfect. the bank, whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm like, ah, but it's very much a, a comedy caper, uh, with the characters being sort of kind of flat comedic characters, but in a way that really pays off. Um, surprisingly strong, surprisingly strong. It was kind of that classic thing of like, wow, good job guys making yourselves names to look out for. Cause I really was based on that. I will, I will, I will follow these guys. I'll definitely be following them into issue two, but, but unless they totally screw the pooch on later issues, I'm like, even, even that aside, I'm like, this is an amazing, you know, when you read someone's first issue, God only knows what these guys have been doing beforehand, but I'm like, oh, this is, this is a stunningly assured yeah, first issue. People, people love that comic. Yeah. I saw a lot of really positive buzz about it. Yeah, and I think I saw a small piece of buzz from like maybe on Abbey's Tumblr or something. I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll keep my eye out and picked it up completely independently because I'd forgotten by the time I made it into the store. Uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. The uh, Choose Your Own Adventure uh, Squirrel issue Girl? of Squirrel Girl. Yeah, so good. Did, are you picking oh, that up I now? I love that. Okay, good. Good. I loved, loved, loved that comic. Yeah, yeah. That Squirrel it's, Girl. It's just. Yeah, I'm, but that issue in particular. Yes. It's just. It's just so good. Yeah. And it's and it's a wonderful. Actually, that's something else I was reading on on Unlimited. Um, the New Avengers. 
Mm-hmm. The Al Ewing title. And uh-huh. what is genuinely surprising is Al Ewing not getting Swirl Girl right. Interesting. Right? I'd be it's, curious it's, to it's, see that. I, I am so surprised, but he's not got it right. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's so interesting because oh. where it falls down for me is in New Avengers, it comes across a shtick mm-hmm. and it's Squirrel Girl. What makes it work is she is so genuinely enthusiastic. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, well, you know, actually, I think this is, this is going to be the problem that the next creative team, if there is a next creative team, will have with Squirrel Girl. Cause I remember seeing that with, uh, like some short, I want to see, say Marguerite Bennett wrote. It was, it was Marguerite Bennett and Krasanka for the, the secret love one shot. Oh, yeah, secret oh, war, secret love, story, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, is, I just, I feel that it, the trick is, is that, as far as I can tell, Squirrel Girl works because there's a double down effect. You've got the, you've got the creator, uh, the character being enthusiastic, spoiling my joke, basically. And you've got the creators double down on their enthusiasm as well. And that, yeah. I think, is what's really hard, is you can have, like, Ewing but, is, is a, is a, is Ewing, Ewing is a wonderfully enthusiastic creator. Yeah. But his enthusiasm is a different flavor from exactly, Norris. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a much more, um, it's a sophisticated enthusiasm. And North plays up his, his enthusiasm, he makes it seem has just as little, uh, guile to it as Squirrel Girls. And so it just, it just comes off perfectly. You know, and 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 in the, the Choose Your Own Adventure issue in, partic- in particular, he's because you know he's obviously a fan of Choose Your Own Adventure. He's done the two Shakespeare books. Yes, exactly. But, but it's it's everything about it is pitch perfect. Yeah. The, the, when you take the wrong path and she dies because she's studying so hard that she forgets to eat. Yes. You know that's just the right level of of ridiculous. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. that's that is perfect. Yes. And it's it's. It's funny, I read that digitally, and the first thing I thought when I was, like, even as I was reading it, enjoying it, was, I've got to buy this in print. Mm-hmm. This will only work in print. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I would have assumed that it would indeed work better in print. Like, I was like, oh shit, like, I, I, I'll have to, getting it to one means I can check it out as both. But yeah, it's just, every, every bit of that was just wonderful. So, I feel every, like every bit of it works. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I, I swear. I, oh, so the, the vision, are you caught up? Are you reading? I'm, or? I'm, no, I'm not. Mm. I, I really am waiting for the collection because yeah. now that we know that King's off with issue 12, and I want to say Marvel has essentially said the series is done with issue 12. I would think so, um, yeah. I think there's just going to be like one collection. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. I think there's going to be one book and I'm, I'll, I'll get that. It makes sense. It makes sense. I, I'm really enjoying it on an issue is, like, by I, issue basis. I, I really don't like the price point. Uh, like I I I I yeah. kind of as much as I love Squirrel Girl, I kind of wrangled at the price point for Squirrel Girl too. Yeah, the three ninety nine price point is rough. Uh it helps that I like I said, I'm being underwritten by my employee store discount. Uh but yeah, the three ninety nine price point is 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 a tough one, although I mean it's just practically so standard for everything that's not an, an image book i know that dc is going to be rolling back their price points but i wasn't you know the only book that i was following really was batman which was at the higher price point anyway so sometimes yeah. a much higher price point so 
yeah, I got it. So, um, anyway, vision. Yeah, the vision. Just, I'm still enjoying it a lot. I'm really going to miss the book when it's gone. Uh, it, you know, but there's also just that weird feeling of it's clearly a finite story. You know, it's yeah. clearly not. Well, meant that, to that was true from yeah. the very first issue. Yeah. But I'm also kind of curious to see how they're going to wrangle out of the the doom and gloom finale that it seems to be building to. Well, I, this is one of the re- the problems I had with Wade's – one of the many problems I had with Wade's All New All Different mm-hmm. um, is that there's a vision story going on there. And I was – I just had this moment of like, how do you reconcile this with what Tom King is doing? Mm-hmm. Like how how do you – reconcile the idea that you're doing a story where the vision is so overwhelmed by his emotions that he's turned his emotions off mm-hmm. and is withdrawing from humanity at the same time as you're doing the Tom King book. It, it, it seems such an odd choice, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, that is weird. So a, that's, a that's very, the arc that they're doing with Wade. That's, yeah, that's Oof. the hook that's going on in Avengers. Wow. Wow. That's and, fantastic. and Tom King has essentially said, like, I, I didn't know they were doing that when I ex- accepted the book. Right. Like, I'm working with it now, but that, I didn't know that was happening. Mm, mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. such an odd thing when you consider what King is doing with the vision book. Mm-hmm. Oh, completely. Well, but I mean, it definitely has that weird, in some ways, the part of why I like about the Vision book is it sort of is a throwback to that era of Marvel where, like, n- the books weren't connected. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. just, you didn't have to worry about what was happening in another title when you were reading it because there just wasn't the, the, the idea that the, sh- there was an idea that the shared universe was dead. For all intents and purposes. Which is, is, I think, an arguable strength of Marvel right now up until Civil War II starts. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, Civil War II, uh, just, I know why they're doing it. I see the logic in doing it, but it seems like such a terrible idea. Well, it's, I mean, that, that is the problem with Hail Marys, you know, is like you really only do them when you don't have anything else left, right? But, I mean, so, I'm, part of me is like, do I do a spoiler in that is based on conjecture and not necessarily a spoiler? Sure. So, I don't think it's, I don't think I'm really off base at all in suggesting that Marvel is very clearly hinting that She-Hulk is going to die. Mm-hmm. In in Civil War Two, right, and and War Machine as well, right? Or is that just something well. that was the spoiler? So okay, that's that's just the outright spoiler part, Jeff. Oh, sorry. Good job. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen it. I can't necessarily um, be spoiling something. We don't know for but, sure. But uh, but where that really, like, where the oh, this is a terrible idea really got around home was seeing the solicits from Marvel's July books and seeing Patsy Walker Hellcat's the upbeat happy book mm-hmm. about, you know, friends. Uh, and the cover is like lots of photographs of Hellcat and She-Hulk together. <laughs> Civil War 2 crossover. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, really, what are you doing? Like, you, you have the the happy friend book. 
Are you tying it into your fucking we've killed her off story? Well, I think the the idea is that I don't think there's a belief that the the happy friend book is selling, is it? I think it it, it was didn't start high, and I sort of assumed it was sort of shedding readers left and right, right or no? I I honestly have no idea. I've not even okay. looked at I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. like. I guess just when I see that part of me is like, oh, God, are you going to one day do a, a Squirrel Girl crossover? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, because that's, that's the worst case to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they're like, okay, not Civil War II, sure, but, you know, the next one is going to be Thanos versus everyone. And, you know, he they've got to be a special team. And there's an issue of Squirrel Girl about it. Yeah, right. And exactly. that, that strikes me as like, no, that is the one thing you don't do. Mm-hmm. Because you break Squirrel Girls a series when you do that. Yeah. Because no, I agree. Squirrel Girls appeal is that, sure, it's kind of connected to continuity, but it's really not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's playing with continuity in a way that is super playful. I mean, you know, for lack right. of a better adjective, but it, you know. It, yeah, and it's just the, the, the closer, I mean, that's one of the, the problems I have with Ms. Marvel. As soon as Ms. Marvel became a hit, mm-hmm. she's an Avenger. She's showing up an Inhuman. And it's like, no, please don't. Yeah. I to- Again, I totally understand why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. But just don't. Because you're, you, the more you do this, the less appealing you make the thing that people want to read. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I do get it. I do get it. You know, I mean, I'm sort of, oh, wow. I should mention one of the things I did. I was like, I know there was something that I read in Marvel Unlimited that was weird. Um, and it was, it was that first issue of Amazing Spider-Man by Dan Slott with the Alex Ross cover. That's basically the Batman incorporated version. Of, oh, so it's, it's the most recent uh, first issue. Yeah. Not the most the, recent uh, first issue. No, last exactly. year's. Yes, exactly. The first issue. Of, yeah. 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 That's a, Weird ass comic, right? It is so strange. Like, I really had that moment of like, uh, like, kind of like, uh, did they, like, like, how do I put it? It made me think that literally there's going to be a, a reboot button pushed on Spider-Man's existence coming up really soon. Cause it was just something, you know, it's like Peter Parker's like the super, you know, a successful industrialist who, you know, has created webware, like the, the ultimate Apple watch basically. And the book opens with Spider-Man, like driving his spider mobile through Japan. Uh, and he's, you know, taken all these lessons and it's, and it's basically quote unquote, Peter Parker, the grown up, And it's, 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 it's a weird dissonant take. I mean, it's, it's interesting in that it's a change. Like I was like, Oh, this is an eye opener, but I really had kind of that weird level of like, and slot for me is one of those guys who I think is a generally very entertaining comic book writer, like, you know, page by page. And also with the words coming out of people's mouths, I'm like, Oh, I am entertained. I am reading this. This is interesting. Wow. Look at this. I wasn't expecting that. But in terms of like, Oh, he got to, I feel like the worst thing that you can, well, the, the, here's where you signify that you will be leaving the book soon with Spider-Man is when you make the character try and grow up, you know? Sure. But Dan has been doing this for years now. No, I get it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you remember One More Day, which was what, 2000 shit, eight? Yeah. Nine? Right. Uh, and they were like, Spider-Man's gone away from the classic version. Mm-hmm. Let, let's demarry him yeah. and stick him back in Aunt May's house and yada yada. And now you look at him and it's like, this is not Peter Parker at all. Right. There's exactly. There's nothing recognizable about Peter Parker now. Yeah. And I think in Marvel's mind, that's okay because A, he's single. And B, you have Miles Morales to be Peter Parker now. Which I, I think there might be something where I'm part of me is like, oh, okay. Like, you know, because part of me is sort of like, I don't, I don't know. I guess what's weird is. I, I have, I have such a weird problem with it because part of me is like, I feel like you're basically saying that Miles Morales has no selling point on his own. Uh, you mean, well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's if, if you're, you're basically, your selling point is basically Miles Morales is like the Peter Parker you remember, but he's black. That seems like you're basically going, eh, Miles Morales. <laughs> well, uh, how do I put it? I think I, th- I I think that there is a way in which you're like, oh, that's not a bad way to have your cake and eat it too, I guess. You know? Part of me is like, um, I'm sort of Spider-Man down that. called Peter Parker, and you come to Spider-Man that's like Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing that's weird, is like when you grow Peter Parker past the point that he's not the Spider-Man that you sort of um, – that seems like Spider-Man to you. It's a very, it's a, it's kind of a surreal moment for me, you know? I, and, and also, like you said, the idea that it's like, it's okay as long as he's single is this very odd level of, and I had, this is, this is the great thing about somebody who's jumped off. I've read maybe six issues of Spider-Man. You know, I read like, in fact, the most issues of Spider-Man I've read since, uh, Brand, since Brand New Day started was during the Doc Ock Superior Spider-Man stuff where I maybe read like, I don't know, 10 issues or something like that and quite and like them. But I really had that weird moment of like, uh, A, has there been any sort of romantic character in Peter Parker's life since since the reboot? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Of course there is. Okay. Oh, but, oh boy, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that I mean, that's good because it's hard to imagine Spider-Man without without that. I suppose there, there's it's not been played up to the same. I, arguably, the longest lasting romantic relationship in the Spider-Man books since then was when Doc Ock was it was taking over. Yeah, which makes sense to me because I that was actually part of what I liked about the Doc Ock stuff was like, oh, they gave him a love interest that was really kind of very offbeat. But interesting, you know, a little, little more multi-layered. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's weird. I gotta tell you, man, it is a very strange, that was a very strange little comic. And part of me is like, I'm okay with the idea of the, hmm, I don't, like part of me is like, I, I don't know, it's just this, I have these weird mixed feelings of like, part of me would be, oh, it's, I don't want to feel like I'm just objecting that it's like, oh, you know, they're just, this you know, is not they, my Spider-Man. This is not my Spider-Man. But there is just kind of a weird moment of like, okay, so this is the Spider-Man that they're really going to go with? Part exactly. of me doesn't believe this that. Is the, but... This is the one you want? Right, exactly. It... Yeah, yeah I, it's um, Dan Slott loves play with Spider-Man has grown up. Because he did it in big time when he took over as mm-hmm. Spider-Man writer as well. And he just, he, he, Slot in my mind has run out of Spider-Man stories. Mm-hmm. 
because he's the current status quo is pretty much repeating what he did already, which is everything's going great for Peter Parker. Something will fuck it up, and it'll be something out with his, out with his control, mm-hmm. and be forced to make a quote unquote choice, which is you know no choice whatsoever. It's it's a completely you know you can stay successful, Peter Parker, but if you do, seventeen people will die. You know, which is. That's not a choice. Like, that's right. not a Spider-Man story, because of course he's going to go for saving 17 people. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's he's leading towards that again. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he keeps on dressing things up. And it's interesting to me to see Slot make all the same mistakes that when One More Day happened, they were decrying. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, Dead No More is characters come back from the dead through supernatural means. Right. You might remember one more day happens. Everyone was like, "Yeah, you know what didn't work with JMS's Spider-Man? Mm-hmm. Magic." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy to see Slot go. I'm doing a magic story. Yeah. Well, I but I do wonder to what extent that is, and who knows? Maybe it won't be. Maybe he's just going to stick on stick around with this character forever. It wouldn't surprise I, me, I, and it wouldn't surprise I, me if they let him. What's I that? think he's around as, as long as he can, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a shame because I really had this thing of like, uh, I, I wish I wish he'd gotten off with all new, all different. To be honest, that's also true. I wish he'd gotten off with Superior Spider-Man. Yeah, the Superior Spider-Man I story. That, that would have been great. Yeah, I think I think he'd be remembered really well because a lot of people were impressed with how that wrapped up. And then I just haven't heard too much about the character since. In a way, it's like, hey, it's Peter Parker's back. Yeah, just like there, there was pretty much nothing to that in between series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was it because you know Spider Verse was the big storyline, and that was, to my mind, at least a dud. Oh, I mean, it the multiverse with Spider Man. That that was a big yeah. That was I you know I <laughs> have babbled before about my attempts to read that hardcover, and it was really hard and really weird and really like. Yeah, what Slot thinks of as a Spider-Man story has so moved beyond what I think, which is, again, one of those weird things of, like, part of me is like, oh, it's maybe it's a good thing I'm not reading it, and I can read something like Spider-Man Deadpool, which has a version of Spider-Man that I more or less recognize, you know, and, yeah, and but, it's got... Uh, <laughs> yes? I, no, but I was part of me was just thinking, like, are we not then running into the whole, that's not my Superman complaint that that everyone had for Batman versus Superman, or for that matter, almost all the Superman comics in the last few years. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess for me, I'm sort of like, well, no, because I've, I've got a character. I, I can read Spidey, although I'm sure that's going to be canceled soon, and I can read Spider-Man Deadpool, and I've got some weird stitched together version. I guess for me, the part that's weird, though, is this idea of, like, Dan Slott's idea of, a spy, of Peter Parker as a grown-up has almost no relation to Peter Parker or grown-ups for that matter. You know what I mean? Like when he's tootling <laughs> around and I'm like, he's, he's fucking Richie rich at this point. He's not, that's not an actual, he's Tony Stark. At this right. Point. He's Tony Stark. He's not a grown-up human being in any way that's, he just sort of is, becomes one step closer to kind of bizarro wish fulfillment, which is, Oh, admittedly, it's a strange a, a direction, man. Yeah, it's a direction, and it is a way that mixes with the the 
he knows that what he's playing on is the dissonance of what Spider-Man's supposed to be. But it just, it has this weird feeling of like, there's no, there's no sense of, there is, to me, there is no sense of a grown up there. I can't, I don't, I didn't read that issue and was like, oh, Peter Barker, he's all grown up and he's got his shit together. You know, it's kind of a weird, it's very, uh, it's, well, it's, it's one very of the, strange. One of the take. things that you're, missing isn't the right way of putting it Mm -hmm. but there's part of the setup that's worth noting here which is Peter Parker is successful not because of his own efforts here Mm -hmm. Peter Parker is successful because of Dr. Octopus yes Doc Ock is the one who set up Parker Technologies and is the one who created the technology that they're selling Right. so Slot has built in the everything goes to shit yes right there yeah yeah. No, and I mean, how do I put it? I I think that's fine and then he comes up with some other take on it and I suppose that will be okay. I just think that even whatever passes after that. I just have this weird feeling of like we don't really I don't know. There's just there's just some very weird strange never never land. I think as much as I love Spider-Man and I mentioned earlier he is uh, arguably, He's one of your favorite characters. Yeah. yeah. Him being one of my favorite characters all but means I kind of can't look at him. Like, I don't really watch <laughs> where he's gone for, you know, the better part of a decade now. And I think that that is just because the character is so strange to me. You know, he's not – it's – there there are characters that clearly you're supposed to, you know, that are supposed to stay the same age and you grow older, you know, and then you have to deal with that, I suppose. But for Spider-Man, it's really a hard, it's a strange feeling because because what they have to keep, the, the illusion of change means that they keep having to turn Peter Parker and Spider-Man into a new version of, no, that's not quite right for me, you know? There's just something. It's like being stuck in parallel universes where nothing's quite the way it's supposed to be, and that's that. That's how I wake up every morning, as long as as long as I'm reading a Spider-Man comic, anyway. So yeah, very strange, very very strange. You know, whereas by comparison, something like the Vision, that even as I'm sort of distressed with, like, you know, this is not my take on the Vision. You know, is uh. They destroyed the character enough that I kind of don't care. Like I find myself well, that exactly way with like Marvel. at this point, you know, yeah. the vision. Yeah, who knows? But it's all of that stuff. Even with even with Black Panther, I'm like, okay, it makes sense that it's going to be Hickman's Black Panther, and that's going to be hashtag not my Black Panther. You know, but it's also a little <laughs> bit like when you were saying the stuff with with. Sam Wilson is Captain America being like, oh, yeah, he kind of treats it as a job and it's a pain in the ass. I'm like, oh, that's a funny take. But in my head, I'm like, but that's not the way Steve Englehart, Sam Wilson would have handled it. You know what I mean? And that's oh, yeah, just sure. like, yeah. you know, but those characters have just been written over so many times. So. Yeah, that's 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 one of the interesting things for me about Marvel characters is DC. I don't know. I, I for some reason, I'm really I can deal with DC characters not acting like the DC characters I grew up with. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Hank McCoy is nothing like the Beast to me. And right. that is problematic. Hawkeye is nothing like Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I I, find that far more difficult to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why, but I really do. 
Yeah, it's I I th- I think because maybe there is a little bit of that to return what we were talking about earlier. You know, Superman, Green Lantern, Flash—they're all great concepts. You know what I mean? They're they're uh they're an amazing concept that is in a way you have to figure out ways to sort of rein in the concept or make it make it work somehow so that it seems to so that it makes sense in its own storylines. But like for me, the Marvel characters, there were the writers and they were the characters, which is why in some ways our, uh, our read throughs of both the Avengers and uh, um, the fantastic four, but also some of my read throughs of, as I managed to sit down with these old seventies characters that mean so much to me is like rereading them and be like, Holy shit. They all just kind of sound like the same six, Stan Lee analog, you know, Stan Lee characters, you know, you've got your, you've got your working class, gruff working class dude. You've got your hothead. You've got your, you know, super intelligent know-it-all. And you've got the semi-hysterical woman slash the angry woman who resents everyone thinking of her as semi-hysterical, you know, and it's like, go, you know, and those things sort of did sort of start to change in very limited ways though. So that like, you know, I adored rereading Claremont and Burns Iron Fist, but at the same time it was in, it was incredibly sobering to be like man, Chris Claremont had like even then he was a lot of enthusiasm uh mobilizing uh, several ridiculously annoying ticks over and over and over <laughs> again, you know? So a lot of enthusiasm and some talent. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there, I know. I mean, I, that may be a discussion. I mean, that, that's time. that's that's overly harsh, but yeah, yeah. But well, I, what, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, know. exactly. So, I mean, it's it's only. I mean, the thing that's amazing is is reading stuff that was not totally disappointing. Looking at stuff like Engelhart's Avengers, where he does take characters, how he transforms Hank McCoy is pretty remarkable. But he also does like. There's stuff that he's trying to do with the characters underneath the surface of having them all, even as they all talk like the Stan Lee characters, they're not necessarily thinking the same way. And that's kind of a relief. But it's also a little bit of a, am I just fooling myself here? Am I, am I trying to put too much into, you know, a little bit of like you said in the notes for the most recent Baxter building, like the, the hold that nostalgia can have on you when it comes to some of this material is, is, is rough, you know? Yep. Um, yep. No, completely. 100%. Yeah. So anywho, Graham McMillan, this is kind of an episode, I think, you know? I, and I didn't actually get to talk about the thing I really want to talk about. Oh shit! We'll leave it to, we'll leave it to next time. You sure we can talk about uh, it now? No, 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 no. We'll leave it to next time. Okay. But because uh, I said I said it in emails here recently, but um, I read the Brecht Evans monster book. Sorry, Panther book. Um, oh yeah, that's right. My fucking mind, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I I highly recommend it. It's a drawn and quarterly book. Um, right. And people look. Look for it, or at least look it out on the internet and then take a look. It is a very individual reading experience. And it, it does not go where you think it's going to go to begin with. And it ends up being an amazingly complex and complicated and contradictory experience that I loved. Mm-hmm. Drop dead loved. 
Mm. Um, it's, it's so, so good. And it's, it's out already. I think it actually came out this week. Oh, really? Uh, oh, shit. I yeah. And it's, it's, it's really, really good. Uh, and the start of a pretty good period for Drawn and Quarterly, because in a couple of months, the new Lisa Hannibal comes out, which is also blindingly good. I, oh, wow. I, you may remember me raving about, uh, my damn dirty eyes. The mm-hmm. Lisa Hannibal came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. The new one's called Hot Dog Tates Taste Test. And mm-hmm. is a lot of her, uh, cartoons for, was it Gourmet? She was, right? Uh, she was Lucky cartoons Peach. for her. Lucky Peach. Yeah. It's, yeah. But it's essentially all of those mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. material. Yeah. And it's just so fucking funny. Yeah. It's her stuff is fucking great. hilarious. Yeah. So, so John Quartley is, has a good slate coming out right now. And I should say also in the spirit of super quick, uh, what I read this week that really blew me away that I, I, really enjoyed uh is the first issue of sun bakery uh cory lewis's comic book anthology magazine where he tries to basically do a kind of shonen jump style uh anthology of continuing like it's except it's an anthology of just one creator doing like i think he did three separate stories or maybe four separate stories uh in this one issue and supposedly he's going to do that monthly we'll see he does that in part by taking his style, which, as you know, has that kind of almost Brandon Graham kind of uh, graffiti-ish, you know, kind of um, sometimes, you know, ultra flat or super cartoony style. Uh, Lewis takes that and and draws that out to like the next degree and relies on using like a very limited color palette to add um, dimensions of, of color uh, to the main stories. And then there's one black and white story in the back. The black and white story is about, you know, someone riding a sentient skateboard. The first story is, <laughs> is basically a, you know, updating of the Metroid concept of, you know, um, spacefaring uh, traveler with a super suit on a strange planet uh, and then a, an amazing little story called Dream Skills uh, that's about a world where people have become completely uh, invulnerable to bullets. And the only way you can damage one another is with swords. And so people have are running around in this sort of futuristic world with like swords with like Bluetooth and, you know, other gimmicks built into the blade you know and it's it's just it's all fun it's like 52 pages of all fun you know and uh so for people who are digging the shonen jump alpha and want to see a uh an i want to say an american take but i i think cory lewis might be canadian i'm not sure uh he's his work is a lot of fun and it's really great seeing someone who's just really all about trying to put as as much energy and enthusiasm on the page as possible. Like that's really what he took from manga and that's what he's going to bring to it is like, you can keep your skills, you can keep your pages kind of drawing them super quickly as long as there's enough passion behind them. And it, and it works. It's really, I enjoyed that first issue a lot. Uh, you can get it on comiXology. I think um, it's, I want to say it's four ninety nine, but it's 51 pages and uh, it's just really fun. I really do hope that he's back next month with another issue because it's uh it's a tall order, but really fun reading. 
I think we've actually told people some good comics and just waffled for a bunch of time as well. Oh, <laughs> we should we should throw in a waffle window reference because someone talked about that on Twitter the other day. Yes. I'm going to the waffle window, everyone. Don't worry. And Jeff is going to be back in Portland in a couple of months and he'll go to the waffle window as well. Waffling will recommence. Yes. Hashtag wafflewad 2016. <laughs> I've been watching too much Jane the Virgin. I feel like it's just really like, boom. Hashtags. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so Graham, do you want to sing us out? Hashtag or no? no and I mean, I sing, us, sing out. us out. I mean, close because us out. Because to say, yes. ladies and gentlemen, we are all over the internet. We are, uh, waitwatpods.tumblr.com is the home of completely random images that myself and occasionally Jeff, uh, throw up there from comics past, present, maybe even future. Mm. Uh, podcast.com is the home of the podcast proper and also show notes for each episode uh, as written by Mr. Jeffrey Lester, unless it's a Baxter building, in which case it's as written by myself. Um, there's Great also... Great on the most recent one, I have to say, by the way. Why thanks, Jeff. Um, <laughs> there's also uh, written posts by Jeff, myself, and Matt Terrell yeah. that go up on... Uh, Regular if you're mad, irregular if you're me and Jeff basis. <laughs> uh, but they're going up. They're, uh, I, I'm actually feeling okay. I was running behind and then I put two Captain Britain ones up this weekend, so I'm feeling okay. Yeah, you're, you're knocking it out of the park. Um, there is also, uh, you can find us on Patreon because this is a Patreon supported podcast for which we thank every single man, Jack, and woman, Jill of you. Jeff, wow. you, you do the Patreon bit. Uh, yes, yes, I do. Uh, in fact, our special thanks to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios for their continuing support of this podcast, as well as our ongoing special thanks and gratitude to the Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, as well as to all 122, that's right, 122 supporters on Patreon. Every time I make a big deal on this, like we lose a couple of supporters, so I should really just be like, oh, yeah. 122. And some of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But honestly, I'm ridiculously, Graham and I are both incredibly grateful to you for, uh, continuing to, uh, to help keep the, the home fires burning. We, we owe you tons. We do. We owe, uh, 122 of you far more money than we could actually repay. So, um, thank you very much. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think, I, oh no, I've, I've got to say that we are also on Twitter. At Wait What Podcast. Oh, shit. Yeah, I it's, thought it was so kind of short. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff is on Twitter at LazyBastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-T-I-D. I am on Twitter as at Graham M. At G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And that is it. I have actually got through it. Um, Jeff, do you have anything else to say before I do sing us out? I don't think so. Uh, are we back next week, Graham? Oh, I was hoping you weren't going to ask that. <laughs> um... <laughs> I actually think we have next week off. I think that I might be true because we caught think, up. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're back on, on our week off schedule. Let's see. Okay. Yeah. It's like, looks like we're off next week. Okay. Um, All right. So we'll be back in two weeks mm-hmm. with another episode of The Wait and The What. Uh, <laughs> we're then going to go in following weeks. It'll be Wait 7, What 8. It, it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, that's going to start driving really fast. Oh, man. So, Graham, have you still seen? Have you still not seen like any of the Fast and the Furious <laughs> movies? The first one. That's oh it. yeah, no, 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 no. You I just jump in at five. You got to really jump in good. at five. I, yeah, it is. You've got to get later on in the series where Fire Lake gets good. I definitely saw the first one on a plane. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's what, yeah. I was talking, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was basically like, you know, they were like, have you seen, and it was some random film, and I was like, I think I saw it on a plane. And there was a whole conversation about, planes are where you see films that you wouldn't pay money for. Yeah. But you're still kind of curious about. And then when you're on a plane, you're like, oh, oh they've, they've got Fast and the Furious. Oh, they've got Bring It On. Almost everyone I know who's seen Bring It On has seen it on a plane. Oh, that is... Uh, embarrassing for me to admit because I saw Bring It On and I think I, I did you know, pay I money? Did, did you go see it in the theater? I didn't go see it in the theater. No, which is not which is surprising considering how many ridiculously ab- shitty weird movies I've seen in the theater that I didn't care about at all. No, Bring It On. I remember seeing like actively like oh I kind of want to see this. Um, yeah, I rented it. I rented it. And I, I, I was actually bring of... it up because Bring It On is uh, is on Netflix as of May first, I think. Ooh, and the sequels. La la. I believe the sequels oh, are also man, be... there's like nine sequels. I can't even yeah. imagine seeing the sequels to it. I mean, I should, but uh, but wow, hmm. yeah. That so first Bring just... It On movie that is a that is a thing. It's great, right? Yeah, it really is. I remember it's... it being really good. I'll have to watch it again, but I remember it being really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I feel like I couldn't really watch it now. I think because honestly, when I watched it, it was like, oh, this is great. It's got it's fun. It's got a lot of character, but there is a little bit like it's very it is pervy. It's a little bit of a pervy movie, and I'm just it's old just, enough I actually, now. I actually don't remember it being that pervy. I is think it? that it'd be great if I like go on to. I'm like, yeah, there's some like car wash scene. It'd be great. I go on to describe all this stuff that you'll then watch and is not in the movie. It's just like, what was going on with Jeff? There, he told me there was totally a scene where these two people like take a shower together and nobody bathes in this entire film. I do not understand. The reason I'm saying that is I seem to remember that I was watching on a plane and thinking it would be worse than it was. And it might be that I've eliminated like anything bad. Oh, yeah. No, I just think I think because there's a fun tone to it. Honestly, I, I can tell. I know for myself, I was pervy in my soul to. to... Oh, well, well, that's always true. Yeah, well, it is. But there are times where, as I get older, I'm kind of like, "Yeah, that's not cool anymore." Like, it probably wasn't cool <laughs> then. Like, oh, that like, was all right before, but now it's just creepy. No, I know. I, I'm not saying it was right then. It was probably that's probably why I didn't talk about it. But there was part of me where it's like, "Oh, I, I you know, like I, I remember watching the uh, Britney Spears's first video, you know, and that's like <laughs> where she's jumping around. Let's, and the... let's not go down this road. Well, I'm not. Say- I'm not saying it in any sort of onanistic way. I'm just saying like. I, I remember watching it at the time being like, I'm too old to be watching this shit. This is really gross. But then I watched it. Now I'm like, no, no, don't make me watch that. You know what I mean? Like, it would just be, it's that weird, there's just that point in your life where you get uncomfortable with yourself. You know what I mean? It's just... on the bombshell that Jeff has not seen <laughs> Lemonade. Oh, nice. Well done, Graham. So well done. <laughs> 